Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. everybody mike bloom here again so just want to let you guys know josh is still taking some time off of down the hatch the weekly loss rewatch podcast here on post show recaps but never terry we are here to keep moving through even though we are a bit stalled to some plain terminology uh, as we get into the cost of living i just don't know that i love how you're talking about me like i'm not even here like i gotta say mike like it just feels a little awkward josh Mike? Hi. Hey, Mike Bloom and Little Hatchlings. I mean, like, I don't want anyone to get too excited because I am only going to be here for like five minutes. <laughs> but Josh, you're, you are here. You are alive. Part of the reason why we wanted to have you here is to specifically tell everybody that you're alive and you're okay. Yeah, I specifically want people to know, like, I'm alive. Folks, I am alive. I am well. I am okay. Uh, I am uh, dealing with a thing in my personal life that is a little bit traumatic, uh, and I am taking the time to to deal with that, and I am spending this week slowly reintegrating back into my work week. Uh, it, it actually took this event to occur for me to realize that I have six active podcasts oh going on. Oh, my God. Right now, and, I, and I'm saying that's a lot, which says something. I know, and you're on a lot of them too, or, <laughs> or at least you, you've guessed it on a bunch of them. Um, but no, Mike, you have you have done me such a solid by by stepping in for me on a bunch of these podcasts over the last week. Uh, I cannot thank you enough uh, for pulling together the flashback episode last week to make sure that the down the hatch trains are still moving here every Friday at 4 a.m. We are very proud of that release date. You get another Friday at 4 a.m. this week, but it is another bonus show it's a little too soon for me to be hopping back into the lost grind because the way we do the podcast as you can imagine it's very 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 detail oriented uh it takes hours and hours to produce the podcast let alone the actual recording uh and i just i need to take a beat from that one more time uh before hopping back into what's going to be a fairly intense episode with the cost of living and it's an episode i've wanted to talk about in great detail for a long time so i want to make sure i'm as bright-eyed and bushy-tailed for that as humanly possible. So I'm back on a bunch of other podcasts mm-hmm. this week. Mikey, very generously, along with the people who you will be hearing from on this week's episode, um, agreed to put together a bonus show to buy us a little bit more time this week. Um, so I hope everyone's cool with that. I hope everyone's okay that we're still not at the cost of living. I think, Mike, we're really trying to emulate that feeling of the first six episodes of season three, a little frustrating. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Josh, you and I, we're trapped in two cages right now, exactly, talking across <laughs> each other. Everyone's like, just escape. Just, just move on to the there. next thing. Damn it, guys, run. Get out of there. Oh, my God. I hope that your co-hosts this week don't get broad brushed as the Nikki and Paolo of Down the Hatch. <laughs> Certainly uh, not, because we have heard from them in season two, unlike Nikki. Nikki and Paolo. So just give a quick preview of what's going to come after the intro clip here. So 
It was my turn at the wheel, not the frozen donkey wheel, with the season two book club crew. I got together with the great John Krause and, of course, the Ben Behind the Curtain, who does such a great job each and every week compiling all the stuff for Down the Hatch. And, you know, we decided to stop down and talk about a topic that we've been meaning to to discuss, just trying to find a place to do so. And you know what? Let's use a Yachtist week to do so. Lost was obviously such a cavalier game-changing show in a number of ways. But that is to say that a lot of shows came after it that tried to to repeat the same game that Lost provided. So essentially what myself and John and Ben did was we went through 16 shows that aired on network television, quote-unquote, a couple of other surprises in there. They range from the fall of 2005, right after Lost Dynamite first season, into today, where all of these shows have taken some sort of quality of Lost, whether it be the big mysteries, the flashback element, the use of a big ensemble cast, and we see which succeeded, which didn't succeed. Spoiler alert, a lot of them didn't succeed. I really look at, you know... In the secret sauce of Lost, what are the key ingredients to, if you want to create a Losty show, uh, how can you sort of replicate that success? It was a really, really interesting deep dive, but we wanted to have Josh come on and just hear it straight from the, the horse's mouth. I'm himself. alive. I'm a horse. I'm alive. <laughs> I'm unlike, okay. unlike that other horse that we talked about in season two. I am alive. I am okay. I am um, very, very grateful that I am surrounded by such incredible people who, A, are concerned about me and, and sending me expressions of love. I, I just, I can't thank you enough. Um, and I'm, I'm sorry to be a little enigmatic about what I'm going through. I'm going to, I'm a very open book when it comes to podcasting. I'm going to exercise my right to some privacy on this matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, you, you have to live with the mystery as as we often do when it comes to things with lost but i want there to be no mystery about the fact that i am sober i am sane i am healthy ish for a guy who eats primarily pizza uh and sits <laughs> doesn't move oh, said sis. <laughs> no that was uh college we don't need to talk about that either um but i i am i am okay i am i am getting back to normal and we will be back God willing, we will be back with the cost of living next week. And if not, uh, I don't know what to tell you at that point. I really hope we're back with the cost of living next week. That's certainly, certainly the plan. But I, I appreciate having the space to to kind of go half tilt back into my podcasting regimen this week uh, with some people helping out and, and pulling some weight still uh, as I'm just trying to, to recalibrate. I will say... That as part of like my self therapy uh, over over the last several months, Mike, as we've been living through the crazy COVID time uh, and things have just been so wild and terrible in so many respects, that one of the ways that I've been self soothing, as I've alluded to on many podcasts, not just down the hatch, but certainly on down the hatch, is that I've gotten really deep into Animal Crossing: New Horizons the Nintendo Switch game, uh, and that I have been building my own personal island. That's what you do in Animal Crossing New Horizons. You just, like, curate your own island. You recruit villagers. You plant trees. You build buildings. You make fun stuff. And my island, I have been designing in my free time, is designed to be a sequel to Lost. It is called The Island, and it is a sequel to Lost. And ladies and germs, and everybody in between... (laughs) The island is ready for visits. Ooh. Um, so if you have if you have a switch, if you have Animal Crossing New Horizons, you can visit the island in your dreams. 
very appropriately, given all of the weird dreams that happen on Lost, uh, there is a, a dream address that you can access through the great dream goddess Luna. This makes no sense if you don't have a Switch, uh, but if you do have a Switch and if you have Animal Crossing... I mean, listen, Crossing, we're talking to Lost fans. I think there's a certain amount of suspension of disbelief. It's possible. Uh, so if you do have Animal Crossing, if you want to check out the island, I think you'll have a fun time. It's weird. Make sure to check out the Bolton board. Make sure to check out the tools that are on either side of Resident Services. You're going to want to pick those things up. But the dream address, and we will include this in the show notes, and I will tell it to you now, it's da 46 Eight six one two four five seven two seven four. I'm so disappointed you can't come up with your own dream address because once I heard four, I was like, "Oh my god! Oh my god!" <laughs> that would be incredible. Would be incredible. I'll give you the dream address again. It's D A four six eight six one two four five seven two seven four. It's in the show notes. We'll make sure it's in the show notes. Come to my island. I've been working tirelessly on this thing for a long time. So while you get the podcast without me this week, you can still get some new lost content from your boy. And Mike, I think what would be really fun at some point in the not terribly distant future for the people who do not have a Nintendo Switch uh, or do not have Animal Crossing, uh, I think it'd be really fun to do a Twitch stream where I take you on a tour of the island. So that's something that we will definitely look into doing in the future because I think you are going to have a lot to laugh about and maybe even some things to get very troubled by. Oh, God, no. Please tell me there's no adult babies on this island. No adult babies. There are no adult... Well, there are babies, but there are no adult babies. Uh, So, uh, yeah, Uh, look forward to that. I think it's going to be a good time. And to mention again what I talked about last week, if any of the hatchlings out there have any bonus ideas for Down the Hatch, we've received a few in the past week, and I'm very grateful for that. Obviously, fingers crossed. It's always crossed. good to have in the Rolodex, right? Exactly. Josh is going to come back to join us, and we'll keep going with the rewatch uh, you know, moving forward. But it's always good to have fun Lost uh, bonus podcasts, especially when we start you know, rounding the corner into the back half of the series, and we start to explore what does come next. And we're going to answer that. That question in the form of many many shows coming up here with john kraus and the ben behind the curtain josh any other stuff you want to say before we get into the intro of it all no very excited to hear what you guys talked about uh very very grateful again for everybody giving me the space right now we'll be back with the cost of living next week you get one more bonus podcast this week before that so plenty of time to get your feedback in you know yeah. Uh, if you haven't done that yet, down the hatch post recaps.com. You have no excuse not to at this point. We've given you <laughs> yeah, ample really amount of time. Pushed the goalposts in a big way. All right. So thank you, Josh, for coming on and clarifying your situation. Wishing you and your loved ones nothing but the best as you continue to work through everything. Thank you, Mike. And, and thank you again. You've been such a champion over the past couple of weeks. I, I could not be doing any of this without your friendship. All right, everybody. So Josh will be back again next week to get into the cost of living. But for now, here's my conversation with John Kraus and the Ben Behind the Curtain of 16 post-lost Losty TV shows. Greetings. We the visitors share in your excitement for Lost and its final televised season. Survival of the fittest is something all beings can appreciate. ABC's V. They return Tuesday, March 30th on ABC.
Lost is over, yeah. but we over have to here. go back down the hatch. Hey, everybody, Mike Bloom back here for another Lost bonus podcast to break down some Losty copycatty shows in the television pantheon. And I figured, you know what, with Josh gone for another week, let me have my turn with the book club crew, even though we are talking about perhaps the complete opposite of books. So let me bring in these two guys who were heard only uh, about a month or so ago during the season two book club slash lost ARG podcast breakdown. Of course, let me welcome back to the podcast. You know him from his prodigious feedback as well as those, as those aforementioned podcast. John Krause. John, how are you? I'm so good, Mike. It's so good to see you again. And listen, if uh, talking about Bad Twin was just too snooty, just too highbrow for you, you're going to love today. (laughs) Again, if your standards are somehow even below rock bottom, just you wait into what we're going to get into. And I'm so excited to welcome this guy back uh, because I missed out on the opportunity to be part of his podcast debut. But you know what they say? First is the worst. Second is the best. In my opinion, the Ben behind the curtain is back. Ben, how are you? I'm doing really well, Mike, and it's good to have my turn with you. I've spoken to Josh, but this is my first time on the podcast with you, so it's great to be here. Yeah, we're we're sort of having our little like round robin here, but yeah. So as we spoke about in the intro, essentially what's going to happen here today is that John and Ben have made a list of various, many a show, and we do mean many a show that have come and gone mostly since Lost premiered that really echoed either the format of the show, fast of the show. Essentially, they were trying to make lightning strike twice and to varying effects, obviously. So essentially, we're, we're going to sort of go through time, check out these shows, and then, uh, you know, discuss them, whether or not we watch them, what worked, what didn't work. John, preview a bit for us, you know, what was sort of your research process involved in trying to pick out which shows were the most losty since Lost came out? Yeah, sure. So this is going to be an interesting talk because basically uh, every show since Lost has tried to ape Lost in some way or form, right? Uh, I, I don't think if you were not around in the early 2000s or if you weren't a part of this that you can truly understand the phenomenon that was Lost. It was like the show that everyone was watching and every network, including ABC, wanted to strike fire. It's almost like in the sort of late 90s uh, when you had like every network wanted another Friends or, or Seinfeld mm-hmm. or something like that. And so I think you could argue really that any show that came after 2004 in some way, shape or form tried to ape Lost. And at the end of this, we're going to talk maybe about some other shows that didn't make the list, but just sort of like broader trends in sort of narrative fiction. Um, but in terms of my research and sort of what made the cut to me, it had to do a lot with marketing, like things that either I remembered or just in my research over the last few days, like where the the trailers or like the first press releases either explicitly mentioned Lost in some way or like if early reviews were like, oh, this show's trying to be like Lost again. Um, or as mm. you'll see, a lot of these shows have uh, either like, you know, you don't have your Jacks, right? You don't have like your 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 Kates, but you have like certain actors that maybe were like B-list or C-list Lost actors. Um, your William Matt brothers, for, exam- uh, for example, um, who might show up in these shows. They're trying to like get you to be like, oh, that guy was on Lost. That girl was on Lost. Maybe this will be that, you know? So um, shows that, at least in my research, explicitly tried to ride the coattails of Lost. And um, some of them did a good job. Um, some of these shows we're going to talk about today lasted for like... Some of them actually lasted longer than Lost did. Uh, one of them, mm. for sure. 
Um, but most of them we're going to find out did not stand the test of time. And so the other, aside from, I think, sharing a fun, a fun little chuckle about some of the early 2000s bad TV, um, I think we're going to have a good discussion about sort of like, why did Lost work um, by looking at shows that tried to do it that couldn't do it? Yeah, that's an interesting point that essentially by like disseminating what didn't work with other shows, you sort of figured out the secret sauce to Lost. I'm intrigued to know, Ben, you know, with the shows that we're going to review, obviously, we'll sort of share our own personal experiences with whether or not we check them out as Lost fans. But I'm always intrigued from an international perspective, since these are almost all American based shows. Were you the type of person that was like, yeah, I may be watching this show from overseas, but yeah, I'll I'll check out, you know, I'm devoted to ABC at this point. I'll see what other mystical sci-fi shows they have to offer here. Well, the thing about here, so ABC, NBC makes no odds over here, right? We we, uh, mix it up, different channels buy stuff from ABC, so you get ABC across the board all over the place. Um, So instead... We got most of these shows on one channel or another. Um, there's a couple there that I don't think ever got to New Zealand, but I've seen um, more than half of the shows, and I'm familiar with a few of the others that I haven't seen at all. Um, they, they got here, and they marketed here based on Lost as well, because Lost was the same phenomenon here. And um, I don't know what drew you guys into Lost, but... Um, Lord of the Rings came just before Lost here in New mm. Zealand. Right? It, was, it was the big thing. And I live in Wellington. Wellington's where it's filmed. Literally, I look out my lounge window and over the river Anduin is Helm's Deep. That's my view out of my lounge, you know? So Dominic Monaghan was very big. He was the key to the marketing. He's what drew me into Lost. And then from there, Lost was very popular here. And all of these shows use Lost in their marketing campaigns here too. So that always drew me in. And I don't know, Mike and John, when you've watched these shows, did the Lost marketing work for you? Yes. In terms of a lot of these, like uh, I was 14 when Lost came out in 2004. And so I was in my sort of mid to late teens when a lot of these copycats came out. And, Mm. you know, I was in high school. I was like, you know, an active kid or whatever, but I had a lot of TV time and anything that was going to promise me like big mystery, I was there for. So I fell for almost all of these. (laughs) Well, the interesting thing though is that what led me into Lost was one of these very similar marketing techniques that John was speaking about, where I remember, and John, Josh and I talked about this, you know, during our first podcast and during our pilot podcast, that when Lloyd Braun pitched the show, it was very much marketed as Survivor meets Castaway. The point where, you know, I had gotten in my head the misconception of like, okay, every episode, somebody is going to die, which I think they actually ended up replicating with Harper's Island, which I don't believe uh, will end up making the the list here, but was something actually very similar to that theming. So it's so interesting that, you know, we're going to be talking about shows that were essentially greenlit for promoting itself as being losty in nature, whether implicitly, implicitly or explicitly. But I know one of the reasons why I personally got brought onto the show in the first place it's because it was marketing itself as other properties that I had seen before and loved before, even though it ended up anything but those two shows. 
Yeah, Lloyd Braun also said that the title Lost he got from another show. So um, you guys may or may not know this. Uh, yes. I only recently learned this, but there was a basically The Amazing Race, right? But it was on, I think, ABC as opposed to CBS. And it was called Lost. It was it was supposed to be a race type reality show. Yeah, but um, basically but the theming was season. that they, they got dropped off in the middle of the desert and they were basically like, OK, you have to make your way back home. Uh, so it's a little oh, bit yes. like uh, yeah, I remember so it was, that show. Yeah, so it was, it was less about like checking in on pit stops. I guess there was. I'm trying to remember, I, I think there might have been only like three teams or something, but it was more like, okay, okay, you have to navigate your way home using your own resources. Less so about like following a specific path. But to your point, John, it's sort of like the Thirty Rock Studio Sixty thing of okay, mm-hmm. two shows that looked very similar about a very similar subject matter came out at the same time, and yes, indeed. This one predated the show we love oh so much, but it was called Lost. Yeah, so Lloyd Brown, I found a, a, another sort of article quoting him where he said that he watched an episode of that show, and I don't think he liked it very much, but he liked the title, and he, you know, he kind of filed it in his mental Rolodex. And I'm not a legal expert. Um, Got to get Melissa in on here. But uh, apparently he was able to use that word for you know the show that he pitched later on. Right. I am an IP lawyer, John. You only need me. And yeah, that's, oh, that's perfectly right. that's that's perfectly fine. Um you just have to make sure it's not too similar. Oh my god, All I'm right. so Ben, I forgive me, I forgot that you were a lawyer. <laughs> Listen, don't do not uh besmirch a Ben, John. As we're learning from season three, like it might not turn out so well for you. Uh but luckily we're skipping that Ben and we're keeping to the much better Ben as the three of us are gonna break down these shows. So Here's how this is going to go. Uh, John, you can introduce the show. We're going in chronological order, a premiere date. That's correct. So I I was talking a little bit with you guys sort of behind the curtain and saying like, how you know, what's the order that we should do here? But to me, it makes the most sense to go from September 2005, which is the first new shows after Lost premiered, and then all the way up to the present. Because something that kind of surprised me in, in my research uh, in terms of reading people's reviews and things was like, it's still happening today. There are some very recent shows on mm-hmm. here. So we're actually going to go through like 15 years of television um, trying to ape Lost. Uh, but we'll start from the beginning and we'll see. Maybe we can try and see you know what aspects of the show are they taking is it always the same thing is it always the mystery um or maybe are they trying to ape different aspects of lost over these decade and a half well let's start at the very beginning a very good place to start john give me the first in your opinion the first major show to really try to mimic lost formula All right. So this one I remember very clearly because this one was on ABC. And so with Lost season two, this premiered immediately after. So I believe Lost was on at eight o'clock or maybe nine. I don't remember that. But um, this during Lost season two premiere, it was like, stay tuned after the premiere of Lost because we're going to have another mystery (laughs) show. Uh, And so this show ran from September of 2005 to May of 2006. They had a full season, um, but then it was canceled after 22 episodes. We're talking about in Invasion, starring William Fitchner and Eddie Sabrian. And also, I like to shout out Tyler Labine because I really like Tyler Labine and he was kind of a bit character on this show. Interesting. Okay, Ben, do you remember? I mean, this is, you know, they they brought this out a year after Lost uh, season. You know, this, this was season two of Lost. Season one, obviously, gigantic hit across the board do you remember checking this out amidst trying to figure out what the heck the hatch was in the fall of 2005 yeah absolutely i checked this one out uh i'm a big fan of william fitner have been since the 90s and the moment i saw him in the ads sold 
also Elizabeth Moss, who, um, you know, is known for The Handmaid's Tale now, but was in the West Wing before this, uh, was in the ads. So I managed to see a few episodes of this. This was at a time in my life where I, w- I still had to convince a family to watch things with me, so I didn't get to watch all of it. But when I could, I checked this one out. Yeah, so for those of you who do not know or don't remember, Invasion was sort of loosely based on Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which is a movie that's been remade a number of times, and um, almost every version of that movie is really good. The original one from the 50s is probably the best one, but the one in the 70s is, is really good. There was one in like the early 2000s with, I think, like Meg Ryan that was really bad. Um, but so it follows sort of this alien invasion by form of like pod people who slowly clone and replace people. Um, but this one took place in a small town in Florida and like the alien invasion coincided with a hurricane. So the pilot episode that premiered after we got to meet Desmond and see what's down the hatch uh, involved like this big hurricane happening in this Floridian town. And um, I actually have a clip um, from a trailer. So what I, I've pulled a YouTube clip from sort of like the season one or in some cases season two trailer for each of these shows. And so I thought maybe we could uh, listen to these and then sort of talk about them because really where a lot of these shows shine in terms of their similarities with Lost is, again, how they're marketed and advertised. All right, here we go. Everything's changing. Something's going on. I'm not sure what it is. I saw a light going into the water. My daughter saw lights. My son saw lights. Yes, I saw lights. Dave says lights are aliens. You might be onto something. I know that there's an invasive species that's entered the glades. People have been acting kind of strange. Something's changing. You know, it's going to change your behavior a little. I'll take them changing. Sheriff, I really thought a quarantine would be a good idea. A quarantine is on the the people. There's really nothing to worry about. Everything's under control. An alien invasion in Florida. Okay, so I can't tell how much of that was static from the person's VCR uh, or if it was done purposely creepy. But basically, to describe the visual, all of the major characters looked like they were in some sort of interrogation room. Uh, and there were various flashes of like the room filling with water to sort of reflect what John was speaking about with the waterborne creatures. One of the characters had like a tentacle growing out of their neck right. at some point, but it was definitely trying to evoke this sort of creepy thing of something weird is going on to the point where they actually pan back on the interrogation room to show that like these people are locked away. Quarantine is used obviously as a sort of a different meaning, especially from a Floridian perspective in 2020. I see your, yeah, I see they're really trying to invoke this idea of like, here's a, a big ensemble of characters that are dealing with something weird. Yeah, and it's really interesting because this is, you know, tied with season two of Lost. But when I watch that trailer, it reminds me of sort of where we have Jack locked up in the Shark Tank in season three Mm. of Lost. So it's almost like they kind of predicted that, like people are being locked up and they're being asked questions that they don't understand 
Um, and yeah, like I think the, the big ensemble cast and the really heavy emphasis on mystery is sort of what ties this aside from the fact that again, it was on ABC and it immediately followed loss. So every week during season two of loss, you would see previews during the commercial breaks that were like, keep watching. Here's another mystery show. Like the, you know, they, ABC wanted these two to be tied together. Uh, and something else that I think is really interesting that, that Ben pointed out is the producers for Invasion. They, they talked a lot in the preseason and sort of during the first season that they had a plan for everything. They're like, we have a five season plot mapped out right from wow. day one. And so we know how we're going to answer all of these mysteries. And that's also really interesting to me because as big as Lost was and as big as the Hatch reveal was, there was already some doubts in some viewers' minds of, you know, do Damon and Carlton know where they're going? And so there are other TV shows were trying to say, like, you know, don't worry, we know and we're going to tell you up front that we know what we're doing. So from that perspective, Ben, do you remember the big mystery of Invasion, which assumingly was from what I remember was probably, you know, what the heck are these creatures? Uh, do you remember it sort of being courted out in a way that they really had that five-year goal in mind, a.k.a. like very, very slowly, assumingly? Well, my experience with the show or what I remember isn't so much about the mystery. It was much more about the fact... I actually think there was like an M. Night Shyamalan vibe to the show, and it was mm. at the, the M. Night peak... Um, came after signs in the sixth sense and there was this thing where the aliens or at least some of the aliens who had uh, snatched people weren't really sure whether they were aliens or people and um, had a, a, a kind of a knowledge that something was off but um, who were the good guys and who were the bad guys it, it seemed much more like a psychological thriller to me than a mystery show actually so, John, what ended up happening here? Do you think it was a matter of ABC sort of like putting their eggs in too many baskets in a manner of speaking in terms of like, uh, oh, there's, you know, we should only concentrate on one freaky mystery show at a time on our network, especially so early on in, in Lost Run? Well, you know, I think a couple different things happened. So first of all, I want to say that this show actually had pretty good reviews and it also had decent viewership. So it had over 10 million viewers, which at the time was considered pretty okay. Nowadays, that would be insanely high. Um, but it was actually pretty well received. I have a, a couple of review quotes from different people here um, for all these different shows. This one comes from Robert Abel of LA Weekly. He says, quote, in Invasion, we see the aliens through the eyes of average folk trying to make sense of their disjointed lives. This gives the show a character-driven lost sheen, but avoids being a copycat. So it's actually pretty well received. On a personal level, I watched the first few And for my ADD 15 year old brain, it was too slow. It was too boring. Not a lot happened. You know, the the show opens sort of with this hurricane action sort of set piece. You know, they're maybe trying to ape the um, plane crash from Lost, but then it, it screeches to a halt. Like the fact that they had five seasons of plot that they wanted to pad out, I think really hurt it. Um, and so I did not stick around beyond the first few episodes, but in general, most people that have seen the show like it. And, um, in, in, in terms of when does this show get brought up in 2020 outside of this podcast? Um, it ends up on a lot of like canceled too, sh- too soon sort of lists. You know, it gets mm. mentioned with like your fireflies and stuff like that. Interesting. Well, I also know that you put this in the notes too that, uh, you know, obviously this came at a difficult time too because of Hurricane Katrina. Yep. 
as well. And I can imagine that, especially a show that that takes place, you know, right near that area and based around the concept of water might not be the best selling point at that point to Americans. Yeah, uh, I would say probably most people, but certainly Americans like we like our disaster programming, but not when we have lived through a disaster. So you have a show set on the Gulf Coast during a devastating hurricane that kills lots and lots of people. Um, but then also there's an alien invasion. And then after Hurricane Katrina, people were like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good. I, I don't need to watch that. I just lived through it. Uh, and ABC felt the same way. And so even though the show had decent viewership and reviews, ABC was like, we don't feel comfortable putting, you know, hurricane porn in our commercials. And so they stopped advertising after about two weeks. And so, um, again, it's surprisingly, it still had some decent ratings despite that. Um, but then they, they didn't feel comfortable renewing it. So we get one complete season. I, I'm sure it was released on DVD. Um, and it, it shows up on some of these lists of like pretty good shows. Um, but it was never, it was never more after 2006. So that being said, I guess what we can do for each show as well is give like a quick thumbs up or thumbs down based on what we've seen. Obviously, during this time, people are looking for new things to watch. This is a one and done show, so it's not too much of a commitment. But Ben, from what you remember, thumbs up or thumbs down for Lost fans listening right now to watch the one season of Invasion if they haven't yet. Uh, It's definitely a thumbs up from me. And as well as that, uh, Mike and John, I should let you know that before we came on, I ran a brand steel to figure out which was the best of these shows. I stayed stayed them all in in Gabon, um, and Invasion being the oldest show, uh, if you remember Gabon, the oldest contestants had to draft the tribes. Oh, yes. So Invasion drafted the dominant tribe, and they went on to find a tribal council, and they they won in a unanimous vote to Brent Steele. So Invasion is, by Brent Steele, the best one of the shows we're going to talk about today. So a thumbs up from Brent Steele as well. And Mike, I know that you Who make major life decisions based on what happens in a Brent Steel, so I think that it must be a thumbs up from you as well. Exactly. I have I live and die by the Brent Steel, so I cannot impute it too much if it becomes a dominant force in that mythical season. But let's move on to I guess if we're going by H here, this was the Jillian to Invasions Bob Crowley here. Let's talk about surface. John, tell me a little bit about Surface. So Surface aired on a rival network. ABC had this huge bump, not only from Lost, but also like from Desperate Housewives in 2004. And so every other network in 2005 was like, we need these sort of prestige, um, multi-layered dramas, and we have to compete with this. And so NBC's answer to Lost in September of 2005 was the show called Surface. It lasted slightly less long than Invasion did. Um, it had one season that lasted 15 episodes. Um, it starred Lake Bell and Jay Ferguson. I didn't really recognize too many other people from the trailer, um, but it goes heavy into the sci-fi mystery. The synopsis is basically like it's a global mystery about, quote unquote, new forms of sea life. It's like mysterious stuff happening mm. in the ocean. And um, the only trailer I could find for this was a old commercial for the DVD release um, of the complete series, all 15 episodes of surface so let's check that out surface the complete series coming to dvd there's something mysterious craters a field of them do you see that what's going on there's something strange there's something the water 
I feel like when you have one pull quote for the DVD, that's not a good thing. I I mean, I cannot recall ever hearing, what was that, like a 90-second ad for a DVD release? That is <laughs> nuts. I've never heard anything like that. Um, and that's, For a that's show that lasted 15 look. episodes. And, and can I tell you another thing that's not a good look? This show never made it to New Zealand. I've never heard of it before. Ooh, interesting. I feel like... I don't know. Yeah, so we're talking about you know uh, a copy of of Lost. This almost feels like Lost mixed with the Abyss from the way it's coming across, right? Like it seemed to primarily take place in the ocean. It's there was a clip on this DVD video of like a tsunami or some sort of tidal wave hitting the land. But I can imagine for the most part because I did not see this show. But John, I could imagine that a lot of this, obviously based on oceanside creatures, did take place either on the water or underwater. Yeah, I'll be honest. This is one that I don't know much about either. So we're probably not going to stick with it for too terribly long. But yeah, like in the trailer, it's all ocean based stuff. So like, you know, NBC explicitly when they greenlit this, they were like, we need our own lost show. And to me, again, you have the ensemble cast, you have like the big mystery and you have the proximity to water. And then um, you also have sort of like these characters that act like they know what's going on. You have sort of like this mysterious Russian scientist who's like, I know what is in the water. And so, like, I think that you have that with Lost 2 where it's like, oh, some characters know more than they're letting on. And NBC was banking that that was enough to to have a hit on their hands. Um, unfortunately, it was not a hit. So uh, unlike Invasion, which still has its its big fans, this show has a 17 percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, and, and I was not able to find any official review quotes, um, but it's it seems like it was incredibly unpopular. And NBC quickly lost faith in it. Also, um, they they split the 15 episodes into two chunks because NBC had the Olympics that year. So there was like six episodes uh, in September into October. And then it was just off the air for three or four months. And then, you know, they aired the back 10 and, you know, no one cared. So it did not make it. Uh, very far. I, I mostly just wanted to share this because of that trailer um, where the woman says craters. <laughs> like if that doesn't get your butt in a seat, I don't know what will. Oh yeah. Nothing like craters to really get the goosebumps going across your neck here. So I guess, you know, it, it seems like from what I'm reading up on, it does seem like the show deals with a, a bit of a different topic as much as this show is again, trying to uh, mark itself as Spielbergian moments of, of suspense. It does look like it's dealing with something like genetic engineering, which Lost definitely did not talk about sans the, the Bopo, uh, you know, undeniably true theory that I brought up here that, uh, you know, it was really dealing with something that was sort of in the zeitgeist at the time with Dolly the Sheep. But it just sounds like from what I'm checking out here and the fact that I'm not a huge fan of water to begin with, I'm going to have to give Surface a thumbs down. I'm going to have to put it below the surface of shows today. Ben, what do you think about it? Despite the fact that the show never made it to your home country. Uh, it's a thumbs down for me, too. You can't cast Lake Bell in a show about the ocean. 
That's just backwards. <laughs> she should have been on the show about the lake as yeah. opposed to the ocean show. I think that I'll also give this a thumbs down. I would say if you are into sort of schlocky bad TV that this might be worth a watch. What's really interesting is when you go digging for this, that there's a lot of like fan videos um, from Russian YouTube accounts. So like, I don't know if this was a hit in Russia or if it was, if it's like one fan group who like got really into it and made a YouTube like a channel for it. Um, but so maybe if you're Russian, maybe like that taps into something that you culturally identify with, but otherwise it's a thumbs down from me too. All right, well, let's skim across the surface here, and we're going to get another show that came out in September of 2005. Man, we are not kidding with how much people are like, oh, Lost Works? Let's try something the very next year. We are talking about Threshold. John, does Threshold pass the threshold for you in terms of good Lost copycats? Uh, once again, this is one that was not really well received. Something interesting about Threshold is that it premieres on CBS. So if you guys are familiar with the American major networks and demographics, CBS tends to skew a little bit older. Um, obviously, it's the home of our favorites, you know, Survivor and Big Brother and things like that. But in terms of its fictional shows, um, they tend to skew a little bit older and to not dip their toe into like hard sci-fi very often. But again... This was September 2005. Every channel needed a lost show. And so this was CBS's answer. This one lasted even less uh, than the than surface. It ran from September of 2005 to February of 2006 with 13 episodes. This one had a bit more star power behind it. It starred Brent Spiner, who uh, is Data <gasps> on Star Trek The Next Generation. And it also starred Peter Dinklage, who was not Whoa. yet famous for Game of Thrones, um, but he still had some star power. He had been in a handful of movies before this. Um, and then related to Lost, uh, in the trailer that we're about to watch, um, they feature William Mapother heavily in this trailer, even though based on my research, he's only in two episodes. So it's, it's, he's, it's less than he was Ethan, but CBS was like, we got to get Ethan. Ethan is the reason people are watching lost. People are going to watch threshold for him, even though he's not in, in very much of it. Um, so before right. we watch the clip, the synopsis basically is sort of like a secret government organization handling first contact with aliens. So it's another sort of like alien invasion show, which is really makes me think that, People thought Lost was going to be about aliens in the end because almost like basically all three of these shows we've talked about so far are alien shows. Do you think it's just because uh, it's starring Brent Spiner and I'm reading here that it's produced by Brandon Braga, who had his own experience in Star Trek, that it's just like, well, we're, we're going to try to bring Star Trek, you know, really onto onto modern day, uh, you know, networks. And I guess by doing that, we have to make it Losty. Well, you know, Brent Spiner was also in the movie Independence Day, right? As the scientist, oh, right. she gets killed by the alien. So, yeah, you know, you can't do an alien show without Brent Spiner or maybe the other way around. <laughs> All right. So let's let's listen to the trailer for Threshold and see probably way too much of William Apather. Because I've had the same nightmares in the forest. Glass trees. You're not alone. There's a figure there. But he's watching. You have no idea what you're dealing with. The nightmares are only the beginning, and then they're headaches, and then people change. I deal in worst-case scenarios. One of your plans been activated. Which plan? Threshold. What's your problem? Where do I begin? Most of our genetic material is obsolete. The fact is, we don't know what most of it does, but what if someone else did? We're talking about some kind of bioforming? We got our first positive on the triple helix gene mutation. The auditory components from the tape. See the 
signals miles deep. That could be the hyperdimensional characteristics of our UFO. It's literally impossible for us to see it all at once. Did you make more copies? I didn't have to. It copies itself. It's spreading. How? The machine. It's in everything. You're experimenting on people. You can't save us. You can't save yourself. We're connected, you and I. All of us are. God created man in his image. This is no different. My job is to protect you. He's pronounced as man and wife. You think we have time for marital relations? We now know the goal of those genetically altered by the alien signal. Propagation by any means necessary. This is a dream. But I'm not an alien. You saved me. And you're going to save all of us. Your plan will work, but not soon. We win. Okay, I is that legitimately a, like the trailer? Because that might be one of the worst trailers I've ever heard. <laughs> so, I, first of all, do not adjust your podcast sets. A lot of these YouTube clips come from very bad VHS, like TV recording polls. The quality is not excellent, but again, most of these shows did not even warrant a DVD release. So, uh, if there are clips and, and blips and hisses, that's that's not your earphones. That's the recording. Um, but yeah, I, I can't tell. I honestly can't tell. I think that might be like a fan trailer, but this show didn't really have a fan base. So I don't know who would have made a fan trailer for it. I can't tell. There's a weird point where like, I believe the intro to the sounds of silence played underneath. <laughs> if I could like pick out that earworm, that was so strange. Again, CBS, honestly, older demographic, I mean, you got to get the Simon know. and Garfunkel in there. It felt like to me, Ben, like uh, another uh, CBS's version of those next time on Mad Men infamous teasers where they would just take a bunch of lines out of context to try to like be like, this is what technically happens next time, but we're not going to exactly tell you what's happening. Well, having not seen the show, I was just listening to that, trying to figure out what is going on. And <laughs> I'm definitely none the wiser. Something's replicating. Something is having marital yeah. relations. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. But marital relations apparently don't matter here. The the one of the scenes depicted in the trailer is like they spend a, a long amount of time in a nightclub and then something rains down from the sky. I couldn't tell if it was like hail or diamonds. Uh, you obviously hear a lot of Brent Spiner now doing what he essentially is getting paid like six figures to do, which is just to give a bunch of like scientific mumbo jumbo of like various things that he found. So. Yeah, so I guess it's it sort of seems like an alien invasion, though nobody exactly knows what's happening, including this married couple, which I guess uh, is I guess, I'm assuming Carla Gugino is who apparently plays the lead role of Dr. Molly Ann Caffrey is part of this. Yeah. So, again, it's like a show kind of about an alien invasion from the perspective of this government organization. I would say over some of the previous shows that we talked about, there's some interesting visuals here. There's in the trailer, there's like this glass forest that the woman is like walking through. And uh, yeah, there's some sort of striking visuals. Again, the the trailer leans really heavy on William Mapother, who's only in the first two episodes. Uh, Ultimately, CBS didn't have a lot of confidence in this they they were like we got to have a lost show but we don't have to like it we 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 don't we're not comfortable here um this show premiered in the famous friday night death slot they put it out on day one on friday night and uh no one watched it um and so cbs was like let's move this to tuesday that's when kids watch tv is tuesday but they didn't announce it they just changed it they and so the little audience that it had uh, couldn't find it 
this is early enough that even though the internet exists, you know, people don't know how to find this information yet. Um, and so it just kind of petered out. Uh, there's a review here from the Philadelphia Inquirer saying, quote, there's nothing inviting about the ponderous threshold. Portentous music plays, scared smart guys rounded up by the government to figure out what's really happening. Say smart guy, stupid stuff, which I have to assume is a reference to Brent Spiner and his techno babble. I, I don't know. I mean, I guess like maybe I'm just so like swayed by the cast, but for me, my thing with pop culture is like, if there's an interesting group of people, even if the writing is shit, I'm going to at least want to check it out to see exactly what it is. So from that perspective, I'm going to give Threshold a tentative thumbs up just based on the cast alone to see how exactly all these people are involved. Even William Mapather, who just seems to be a crew member on like the Navy freighter that first has has, I guess, for lack of a better term, first contact uh, with these alien creatures. Ben, what about you? Are, are you going to give thumbs up or thumbs down to Threshold? I'm fully on board with you, Mike. I think a thumbs up for Brent Spiner saying smart guy, stupid stuff is right up my alley. Um, if I could track this down, I'd give it a go and uh, I'd probably enjoy it no matter how bad it is. So something that is good for both of you guys is that a lot of these shows that barely made, you know, 10 episodes and don't really get a DVD release, a lot of them can be found on YouTube. Like people just ripped and uploaded them and the networks don't seem to care enough to have it taken down. So if you want to check Threshold out, at least as of the recording of this podcast, I think the whole series is just on YouTube. Um, and I'm a big techno babble fan and I like some of those visuals. So I would, I would definitely be willing to check this out. This would be something that I would certainly be you know, into it's crazy. You know, I watched a lot of TV at this time and I was watching survivor. I don't remember any ads for this whatsoever. All right. Well, let's move on here to show number four, obviously big losty number. John, what do we have as show number four here? So we're finally in the next full year. We're in fall of 2006 and we have a show called the nine. So the nine only ran for seven episodes. This had the craziest airing. So it had seven episodes and then it essentially got canceled, but they had about six more in the can. And so they aired two more in 2007 and then they didn't air the final four episodes until 2009. So like if, if you were a super fan of, of the nine, um, you had to wait three years to watch those last four episodes. Do, do you think it was just because they're like, well, the nine and oh nine, why didn't we do this beforehand? Let's hold off. Let's keep it in the bank vault. Ironically speaking, as we're about to get into with the show until that year comes around. Yeah. You know, I kind of imagine it was like it, at the end of the Raiders of the Lost Ark, like the people who worked at ABC, <laughs> like found a canister and they were like, oh, my God, what could this be? Top oh, men. it's the last Top four men. episodes of the nine. Oh, my God. And then they just, you know, like, let's air it. Uh, but this show stars Lords Benedicto. I, I'm not familiar with her, um, but it also stars John Billingsley, who is another Star Trek alum. He was on Star Trek Voyager as um, the erstwhile cook on uh, on that ship. So we, we have kind of another like we're trying to get some Star Trek cachet here. Um, the synopsis of the show is that it's nine people. There's nine main characters and they end up in a bank robbery and they're forced to work together. And sort of each episode focuses on the backstory of another person. And so there's also like flash forwards and flashbacks. So the entire bank robbery mm. lasts like three days. Uh, it says in the trailer, like 54 hours is that they're stuck in the bank. And so that's sort of like the, the meat of the show is this very long bank robbery. Um, but then it sort of flashes back to who were these people before? Like they're strangers who get thrown into this terrible situation. Um, but it also flashes forward to like after the bank robbery and sort of like 
you know, what are their lives like after this, this terrible bank robbery happens? I actually think this is a really interesting premise. Um, and the, the connectivity to lost is, I think, really obvious with sort of like strangers thrown mm-hmm. together. Um, who, who's going to end up being a good guy? Who's a bad guy? Um, but really, like, I don't know how this was going to last longer than seven episodes anyway, right? Like, I mean, the bank route, 54 hours is a long time to be in the bank, but it's not yeah. long enough to have a television series. Like, what would season no, two have been? This, this, this is essentially a bottle series instead of a bottle episode of, like, here are people trapped in a bank for an entire season. I guess they just have to move into another location, like maybe, I don't know, the holding cell in the prison where they inevitably all got arrested. Maybe that's season two. Yeah, well, you know, like, uh, you, you're, we're, you, well, the listeners will not see it, but, um, you guys will see in a second, like in the trailer, like it seems like certain people get arrested and end up in prison. So yeah, maybe like certain people team up with the bad guys, you know, uh, uh, certain people get maybe wrongfully arrested for the crime. So maybe like if there's a season two, they do like a prison break. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you have like a second, maybe it becomes like American horror story and you have like a different sort of disaster mm, that sort of nine people nine. get trapped into. <laughs> Um, I'm not too terribly sure. This trailer is is a little bit long, so I'm going to say, Mike, uh, I, it's worth checking out right now because some of the dialogue, I think, really sets the tone for how good the show is. Um, but we, we don't have to listen to the entire thing. Uh, as the right. driver of this uh, VW bus, I, I, you can cut it when you get bored. All right, here we go. to work. It was a regular day. <laughs> I need to talk to you about something. I'm in trouble. Maybe. Hi, I'm Malcolm Jones, I'm the branch manager. Egan Foot with an E, not at the beginning of the Egan, but at the end of the foot. Okay, how can I help you, Mr. Foot? <laughs> I told her that I shouldn't testify. Well, we should no shop talk today. That sounds a lot like something you might say to someone you're in a relationship with. Come on. Ava, your boyfriend's here. Uh, I got my deposit. You know, you don't have to come in here to do this. I prefer eyes that look back at me. change everything for us yeah i really need to talk to you daddy i'm gonna borrow the car jared's 18 and such a responsible driver honey there you go thanks sure there's a cop here we should come back another time there is no other time have a good one you too Oh, I'm sorry. The bank's closed. Oh, come on. We just... No, we're closed. Yeah. Don't try to be a hero, man. This will all be over in five minutes. One hostage was released in the first few hours of the standoff. Conditions of the nine remaining hostages just over an hour ago. Same time as this. 
How is she? We don't know. What? All right, I'm going to fade this out as the weird choral music comes in. Interesting. It's so fun to watch your face as you watch that, Michael. Well, I mean, you have such brilliant lines as I want eyes that look back at me. I think he said at one point, uh, which just sounds like an Anakin Skywalker line. Uh, Of course, the enigmatic character of Egan Foot, where the E is both in the beginning and the end. So because I remember watching like a few episodes of this. Ben, do you remember watching any of the nine? I didn't watch it. It definitely got to New Zealand. And I remember being intrigued by the concept. But then, um, I don't know, the the idea of whatever the case may be over uh, Mm. the course of a series, somehow in the end, I just thought, ah, not worth giving a go to this one. Oh my god, you're totally right. Could you imagine, John, these people watch that, watch whatever the case may be and said, this is great, let's make this an entire series. I mean, that's essentially what it is, right? Again, the lost similarities I think are really obvious. You have people from diverse backgrounds who get thrown into a disaster together, and you know, some are going to be good, some are going to be bad. How do they work together? Is there something bigger going on? Um, but yeah, it's like instead of a plane crash onto a mystery island, we just have like, what if whatever the case may be was an entire TV series? Um, I'm going to backtrack really quickly here. I made a huge Trekkie faux pas. Um, I said that John Billingsley played Neelix in Star Trek Voyager. That was Ethan Phillips. John Billingsley was Dr. Phlox in Star Trek Enterprise. So I, I oh, don't good. want much, my, much less annoying character. I don't want my cred um, stripped from me. So I needed to fix that. But yeah, so. I mean, we all love whatever the case may be, right? So, like, we would love to watch an entire series of just that, right? So, how much time would you say was dedicated to, like, the actual action of people after the events of the standoff versus, like, flashbacks to either what they were doing beforehand or the actual standoff itself? Well, you gotta, you know, you gotta meet out your, your action sequences, right? So like, yeah, I mean, aside from, you can't have entire episodes be in the bank because again, it's only like uh, 54 hours in the bank. So, um, it, it tries to mix, you know, uh, stuff before and after, but, um, it's not, people didn't like the show very much. It didn't last very long. Uh, like I said, they had seven episodes, um, and then eventually they aired six more. Um, basically, Everyone talked about the really bad writing and also the characters. Uh, I've got a quote here from Tom Shales at the Washington Post. Um, he says, quote, it's not so much a narrative as a collection of character studies. And the characters are not particularly fascinating. Um, <laughs> but I, this is a show worth talking about in the context of Lost, because I think what those shows mm-hmm. before this, they go, what is Lost? It's a big mystery. Maybe it's aliens. Maybe it's, you know, some creature. Maybe it's genetic engineering. We have to have sexy people running through the jungle. This show, I think, at least conceptually gets it right and says, no, what Lost is, is interesting characters interacting Mm -hmm. with each other in a novel situation. Um, And so I got to give them credit for trying and at least conceptually getting what I think is the good thing about Lost. Um, But they they come up a little short in that their characters are not as as interesting or as well written as your Jack Shepard's and your James Ford's. And I think. Yeah. um, So go ahead, Ben. uh, Well, if I'm not mistaken, I seem to remember that the backstories in the show were somehow connected and they took that that idea that we had in Lost of people's lives interconnecting before this big event that connected them all. Um, I think that was another dynamic they took from Lost. 
Yeah. Then so that's from that perspective, I absolutely agree with you, John. That I think if there's any credit we should give to the nine, it's that this was the first show of the the ones that we've talked about so far that wasn't just like, all right, let's do a sci-fi thing. Let's do one big mystery. Uh, it really does seem like they're like, okay, let's focus on like more so the what made season one work so well, which was, in my opinion and in our opinion as well, a group of different characters slammed together and sort of seeing how they interact with one another. Now, from what you're saying, it seems more so like it, it sort of became a bit mystery-like in that the flash-forwards happened. Like, I know that one of the characters had amnesia. And so they didn't know exactly, and like all these mysterious connections were happening. So it was a little bit more of a mixture than maybe we initially bargained for. But from that perspective, I'm inclined to give this a thumbs up. I remember from the episodes that I saw, were they amazing? No, like you said, the writing sounds like it was done by the people who actually created the show. Uh, you know, the 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 show that Nikki is a part of, Razzle Dazzle, especially. But from a sincere perspective. But I think that at least the concept is interesting and maybe it's worth a look at to see like how exactly this show said, okay, screw the the mystery aspects. We're going to more so focus on like who exactly these people are, even if they're not the most interesting inherently. And it's a low commitment. Again, there's 13 episodes, uh, only seven of which ever were like released fully. So uh, you don't have a huge time commitment one way or the other. All right, let's move on here to show number five. And I'm so pumped because, John, these are not all like hole in the wall. You never heard of these types of shows or heard about them once or twice because we are talking about arguably one of the other big, big talked about shows from both a good and bad perspective of the mid aughts. We're talking about heroes. Absolutely. So Heroes was a gigantic show. This is the most successful show we've talked about so far, and it's probably one of like three properly successful shows that we're going to be talking about today. And Heroes, honestly, at first glance, does not have like super strong lost connectivity. But I think that as we talk through it, you'll see why I argue that it's worth putting on here. For those of you who are unfamiliar, Heroes is a show that ran for four full seasons from September of 2006 to February of 2010. Had about 77 episodes. And then there was also a single season reboot called Heroes Reborn. Yeah, Heroes so this Reborn. was a bona fide hit. Starring a yeah. number of big people. Some of them who were already big. Some who became big because of this show. Um, starting with Greg Grunberg, the hardest working man in Hollywood with four G's in his name. Um, the pilot on our show, Lost. Um, we also have Ali Larder, Massey Oka, Hayden Panettiere. Kristen Bell shows up for a while. Um, and this show launched the career of Zachary Quinto. Yes, also known as Siler. It also stars, uh, most probably uh, applicably today, Milo Ventimiglia as Peter Petrelli, who obviously is going to move on to big, big things as a star of another long-running NBC show, This Is Us. But Ben, I know that in the pantheon of pop culture, even more so than something like Lost that people tend to regard as like, well, after the first season, it didn't really get good again, which Peshaw, but Heroes really seems to be like that show that people said, wow, it was really, really must-see TV, for lack of a better term, for that first season. And then after that, it went straight down the tubes. Yeah, and I think that assessment is exactly correct. So for me, I, um, I'm one of those people who has to watch a TV show to the end once I've really started. You know, once I've got a season in, I see it through to the end. And there's probably maybe two or three shows in my life where that hasn't been the case. 
heroes uh, I had to stop some sometime in season three. But season one is is a thing of beauty. It's fantastic. And if I had to pinpoint the mistake I think heroes made, I think it's that Zachary Kinto was so good that they Mm -hmm. left him alive at the end of the first season when he needed to die. And I think that mistake really um, precipitated everything that went wrong with the show from that point forward. So yeah, let's yeah, break down yeah. the show, uh, but let us let me introduce the synopsis here in case possibly you've never heard of it or not seen it. So um, it's basically kind of like the X-Men or maybe even like the Avengers. It's sort of the origin story of a bunch of superheroes, um, which is so commonplace today. Um, but really, this was never like we'd never seen anything like this on TV back in 2006. Um, basically, mm-hmm. we have people all over the world who start to develop superpowers like after there's an eclipse um, but like shadowy government figures are pursuing them. Some of them become superheroes. Others are destined to become supervillains. Um, this trailer that I have the link for here again, it's a bit long, so I will let you be the driver here, Mike. Um, but it is, it is a very iconic trailer. I remember watching this trailer like with my friends over and over and over again. Camera ready? Yeah, almost. Hold on. This looks like 70, 80 feet. It's so unreal. Oh my! Oh my God! Oh my God! Claire! Claire! That was attempt number six. something extraordinary yes we are all special some individuals it is true are more special you should know who you are and know that it's enough i think i'm old enough for you to tell me who my real parents are it begins as a single individual Mom? seemingly ordinary except they're not Stop it there. You got to hear Hero say Yata before you, before you truly get a Heroes reference. Yeah, so uh, I loved Heroes. I, like Ben, was someone who watched the full way through. I watched Heroes Reborn for some reason. I'm going to see how much I'm going to be able to wear Josh down by the end of our Lost Rewatch to see if we could do a, a Heroes podcast, because it really is an interesting case study in not only like how to build a great TV show, but then how to 
incredibly dismantle it. Because for me, at least, one of the reasons why I think it fell apart, and it does connect back to the idea of keeping Siler alive, was that starting in season two, they just had no idea what to do with these characters. Uh, like, you know, season one really did seem like they had a full arc for all of their main ensemble. And then once I got into season two, you know, I wonder if nowadays they could have cycled out other characters. And they kind of did with um, Maya and Alejandro, the yeah. the twins that can <laughs> sort of cancel Paolo each other. Of heroes. Exactly. The ones that can sort of uh, can cancel out each other's powers. Uh, so they, they, they pr- periodically brought people in, but it really did seem like because they were so bent on like, well, people love Peter Petrelli. People love Hiro Nakamura. People love Claire. Like, how how do we have them do stuff in future seasons? Like, you felt the wheels were spinning. Even here, in my opinion, Hero traveling back in time was, like, very much already starting to see the wheels fall off of, okay, we're trying to figure out what these characters can do with their powers to make new stuff happen. And as a result, things went downhill very, very quickly. Yeah, my journey with Heroes is very similar to that, where I think I tapped out before either of you, but I really loved this trailer, and I was hooked on the show right from the first episode, and I also think season one is a work of perfection. I highly recommend. This is a hard thumbs up for me, with the exception that I think you should tap out after season one. I remember watching the season two premiere and being like, huh, this isn't as good. And I, I kind of liked when Hero got stuck back in time um, for a second. But then I was like three episodes into it. I was like, oh, he's he's just going to stay back in time forever, isn't he? And uh, yeah, I think what they did is they had so many cool ideas. What if we had characters who yeah. got stuck in time? What if we got characters whose you know powers canceled out and they were just like, great, print it, film it. We got it like they, they didn't develop enough of these ideas. It should be said, yeah. too, that this is the writer's strike season two. We see we see mm-hmm. how it affects Lost season four, um, and and it's really clear that it affected Heroes season two, and it's hard to know how much that uh, contributed to leaving characters stuck in place and having no real idea what to do with them. Yeah, and I think also season one you could tell was also a bit of a slow build where it was like people coming into their powers. Like the one that I really felt most represented that was Matt Parkman, uh, played by the aforementioned Greg Grumberg of like. You know, he's that's how he found out his wife was cheating on him because of this. And like he was slowly gaining uh, the ability to use his powers, especially as a cop cut to season three, where like he can incept into people's dreams and like be able to manipulate their minds. Like it's clear that they were trying to figure out new places to take it. And in some they accelerated too much. Sometimes they didn't accelerate enough. So, again, it's a really interesting case study. So from that perspective, like, I guess I'm going to give it like a half thumbs up, half thumbs down, where I would say definite thumbs up to the first season, because no matter what, if you want good television, thumbs up, depending on the quality of television you want. Like, if you want to watch a, a subsequent show that really doesn't make a lot of sense and can be like baffling at points, if you enjoy that aspect like I do, I give the thumbs up to the rest of Heroes. But if you're legitimately like, I don't want to check out bad TV, then I would say thumbs down on the rest of Heroes. But that at least gives you 23 episodes to really, really seek your teeth into, Ben. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, If you're one of those people out here that has heard Heroes doesn't end that well, you know, it's not worth checking out. I think that's wrong. Check out the first season. Be happy with the first season. It's a complete arc. The only thing that is Silas survival at the very end of the last minute of the season that kind of hooks you into season two. 
And other than that, you can you could really take season one as it is and love it. What about you, John? Yeah, I, I would completely agree. This is a to me, and we're not going to talk about Dexter, but uh, as a as a show that's similar to Lost, but it's another one where like there's a hard out where like Dexter season four, you're done there. I think go in Heroes, watch season one. It's really really good, and everything that you like about Lost is there. And you can tap out in season two. You know, you got your themes of destiny and good and evil. You got your season long mystery, right? Like save the cheerleader, save the world. What does that mean? You have time travel. You have a large international ensemble cast. You can see connections between like, um, I think Mohinder mm-hmm. and sort of Saeed, where it's like, um, yeah. you know, Mohinder is Indian, whereas Saeed is technically, um, supposed to be Iraqi, although uh, Naveen Andrews is Indian. It's like, you know, sort of your MacGyver guy. Like there's, there's sort of a lot of compare. You have a main character called Claire. Um, but yeah, it does it really, really, really well for one season. All right. Let's move on here to another. A particularly beloved sci-fi-esque show, though not nearly as mainstream as Heroes. John, talk to me about Fringe. This is my favorite show that we're going to talk about today. I am a big, I don't know what the term is, like a Fringe fan? is <laughs> A Fringe freak? I don't fringe. know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Fringe had a full run. It ran from 2008 to 2013. They had five seasons of about 20 episodes each. There's around 100 episodes um, and this was really considered sort of the true successor to Lost, both um, in terms of a sort of theme, but also in terms of behind the camera. So this was a show produced by J.J. Abrams. It was like his next show that he put his name on. Brian Burke also produced it. Um, Michael Giacchino mm-hmm. does the television um, soundtrack. J.J. Uh, Abrams did the theme song, which I actually think this theme song is better than Lost's. Um, and we have a couple of sort of like second tier characters that show up that are in both shows. Like Lance Reddick is a main character in this who plays Matthew Abaddon in um, mm. Lost. But the big stars are our big three. We have Anna Torv, Joshua Jackson and John Noble. Um, and then as well as Jessica Nicole, who plays um, Astrid. All right. So let's give a a quick listen to Fringe. And then I'd like to get all of our respective histories with it. Because, again, like Heroes, this was definitely one of the more prominent Losty shows out there. Big one. What the hell is going on here? Inexplicable and frightening things are happening. And there's a connection somehow to the insane work that my father did way back when. I'm scared. You're scared of what? Of what's going to You're saying Roy can read people's minds. He is linked psychically with someone responsible for these events. It has arrived. It came from underground. What is it? It's why we're here. We don't know. The newborn was convulsing. During that time, it transformed. Dear God. Where's the baby now? You need to know what I need you to know. I need to know what it is I'm dealing with. When you're ready. Hello? Before then, I suddenly get transported to another dimension. Fringe. Friend of yours? Oh, I certainly hope not. The premiere encore this Sunday. And catch a new episode at its regular time next Tuesday at 9, 8 central on Fox. Bad robot! Ah, yes. Bad robot. Ah. 
God, I remember this show. I only I only ended up watching a few episodes personally because uh, spoiler alert for possibly another podcast that might be coming to post show recaps in the future. I was not a big fan of the X Files. Mm. Uh, it was way too spooky for me. And so with this show, and I think the preview sort of alludes to the fact that it sort of does seem like a mixture of Lost with this procedural element of the X Files. I was like. Uh, my my scaredy pants nature of the X Files outweighs my love of a show like Lost. But Ben, what was your personal history with Fringe, if at all? Uh, this is one of my favorite shows. Uh, like John, it's my favorite on this list. I think the Ben behind the curtain is helping Josh on a Lost rewatch podcast, but the Ben over there is helping Josh with a Fringe rewatch podcast. And honestly, <laughs> that's what I'd pitch Josh on next when down the hatch is done. I love this show that much. Uh, yeah, it's just fantastic. I think uh, it's so well written and well produced, and there's many episodes in there that are in the pantheon of great episodes. And they did this cool thing in the 19th episode of each series where they'd do something completely different, like mm-hmm. they'd, they'd have mm-hmm. an entire animated episode, for example, because the characters were tripping out on LSD. That was really cool. And the last thing I think I should mention is. Leonard Nimoy, the great Spock himself, does a phenomenal turn in this show. He's a great character. And for anyone who wants to watch that hasn't watched it yet, I won't spoil too much about his character. But um, it's it's one of the last things he is in. Mm-hmm. And I remember as well one of the other characters that you mentioned the cast before, but I remember, and he was he actually showed up in this preview clip that we just listened to, uh, Michael Cerverus playing the the bald guy who I think is like the observer I think mm-hmm. is like one of his names not to be confused with the other types of observers slash watchers in the in the PSR community but I, I always remember like who's the weird bald man what's he doing there and I didn't even know he was a, a big actor at the time yeah so the show I mean it's pitched totally like it was pitched as lost meets the x-files it's about a group of FBI agents who are investigating weird cases and they use fringe science to solve it when the show started they were like all of the stuff that's going to be on the show is based on real science which quickly became not true but that's that's totally fine and it's it's everything that's good about lost and honestly lost isn't my number one show of all time but this there this show does some things better than lost um it's it's got your season-long mysteries there's big bads you have time travels uh you've got you know people who may or may not be the people they say they are people who may not be human um, the fir- the pilot episode involves like this really weird incident on a plane, but you have you have babies that grow up too fast. You have like <laughs> uh, all kinds of crazy stuff. And then, yeah, you get there's a lot more drugs in the show. There's a lot of heavy drug use in the show uh, to for drama, but also for comedy. And um, it's just enjoyable so much. And I remember when this show ended in 2010 um, that a lot of people said or I'm sorry, 2013 that a lot of people said that it ended a lot stronger than Lost. And um, I'm excited for next year when we get into season six of Lost because I've got a lot of opinions and I'm a big defender of how it ends. Um, but this show definitely, you know, like the like a gymnast, it really plants the landing or it, it ends well. Mm. Yeah. In your opinion, Ben, is there a point in Fringe that sort of hits that sort of nadir, sort of like what we're in the middle of right now of season three where it just sort of was not exactly landing or is this one of those shows that was pretty consistent throughout in terms of its quality? I actually think um, it's first season is probably its weakest season. It was really monster of the week in the first season. It was, Mm. um, I think trying not to lean too heavily into the serialized aspect of lost and trying to suggest um, potentially as a reaction to lost that people could just turn up on any given week and enjoy the show 
Um, and then it started to move more and more into its serialized nature. You've got a parallel universe. Um, you know, you've got all of these things that kind of became these, these long arcs, and that's where it really hit its stride. So, yeah, get through season one, and you've already got past the worst. I totally agree. Right. And I, I wouldn't say that that first season is bad, but they, they're leaning, and I love Monster of the Week type stuff, but they lean so heavily on that, that there really isn't any character development, especially with, I would argue, our number one star, who is Anna Torv as Olivia. She's really like a cipher in the first season. And um, people criticized her kind of like the reviews of her acting being sort of wooden. Um, but mm. as they develop her character into season two, I think Anna Torv gets more comfortable. Um, but they also, you know, they write her better. And then they actually sort of write reasons why she's so wooden into her character in season one. And uh, it's then it's smooth sailing from there. Well, John, you mentioned heavy drug use in Fringe. Let's follow the path of a character who we know from Lost for his heavy drug use. This is Dominic Monaghan's biggest uh, post-Lost project, or at least his first post-Lost project. And I remember this one, I wouldn't say fondly, but I definitely remember this one, because this one came on during the final season of Lost. We are talking ABC's very own Flash Forward. Yep, Flash Forward. So uh, Dominic Monaghan, like, he's like, okay... I did. I did Charlie. Now I can lead my own sort of lost type show. Dominic Monaghan is sort of like one of the the main stars of this show. It ran um, only for a single season between September of 29 um, to May of 2010. It also stars John Cho and Joseph Fine, one of the, the brothers of Ray Fines. Uh, and it also stars Sonia Walger, who is Penny. Um, and then we also have uh, pulling other uh, sci fi show cachet. We have James Callis who um, was on Battlestar Galactica as Gaius Baltar. He is in the second half of the the only season of this show. Um, for those who aren't familiar with it, it's actually based on a really good book. I recommend the book maybe more than the show. Um, the book was also called Flash Forward by a guy named Robert Sawyer, not to be confused with R. Sawyer. Um, and it involves basically everyone in the world loses consciousness for two minutes uh, at the same time. And um, while they're out while they're sleeping um they see visions of the future specifically like six months in the future uh, in the book it's like 20 years in the future um, but then they all wake up and the whole show is like why did we all pass out what did we see um and then the really interesting thing is like some people didn't see a future and what does that mean does that mm. mean that they they die before you know six months out or is there some other reason why they didn't see a future the, the, the premise of the show is excellent all right, well, let's listen to the trailer for Flash Forward. And spoiler alert, you're going to start off with hearing a very familiar voice uh, where ABC knows exactly where its marketability lies. When the blackout happened and the entire world saw the future, we all wondered, would our visions come true? But when it comes to destiny, nothing is set in stone. Soon, our lives will change in ways we've never imagined. I want this baby. She's the one I've fallen in love with. Someone will die. It wasn't our wedding that I saw. It was your memorial. Or receive a second chance. In my flash forward, I was underwater. This man, he was drowning you? True love could be found. There's nothing to be afraid of. I should just stay away from him. I know that, but... Or perhaps vows will be broken. Let the wild rumpus 
begin. As more secrets are revealed. I believe that you saw something you might not be conscious of. I'm not going to let one more bad thing happen to you. If we have a breach at somebody close to us, somebody we love, that tells you something about the people we're up against. You were brought here to witness an experiment that will change humanity for all time. All of us will face the most shocking possibility of all. It's not fate versus free will. It's fate and free will. I should have killed you. Where is she, Mike? Ah! Why are you doing this? Do you have some deep, dark secret? You gotta trust me. There's nothing I won't do to save our marriage. This is our destiny! We're running out of time. There's gonna be another blackout. ABC's Flash Forward. All new Thursday, March 18th at 8, 7 central on ABC. So, Ben... Final season of Lost, obviously a lot going on emotionally as a Lost fan. Did you take the time to check out Flash Forward, knowing that it featured a couple of other Losties? Yeah, I mean, as I said at the top, (laughs) Dominic Monaghan can lead me into anything, and he certainly led me straight into Flash Forward. And actually, as it sounds like he did to John, the show then led me to the book, which uh, I think is something that speaks well of the show. By no means is this as good as Lost, but it is a show that I enjoyed watching. Mm. Yeah, I, I remembered watching again a few episodes at the time because I was this was also when I was in college and we had like a weekly Lost viewing party, and I think a few of us sort of staggered out to watch Flash Forward because of that Dominic Monaghan. Though I will say, John, it's so weird seeing him play like I think he played a scientist in this, and it's just as much as I love Dom, I, I don't know if that fits him. Yeah, you know, I, he's really miscast here. Like, ABC clearly just wanted him because he was on Lost. And uh, the trailers for this show, as you hear, feature his narration heavily. They, there's text on the screen saying, from the network that brought you Lost. Like, they name drop Lost specifically. Um, and I love Dom Monaghan. I'm the same way. Ben, I, I I go to any project. I really love his animal nature show that he does. Um, but yeah, I, I think he's kind of miscast here. Like, he he's much more of the you know, excitable nerd or the burnout or the rock star um, or the drug addict, as it may be. He he doesn't really sell, you know, like brainy scientist who knows what's going on um, really, really very well. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't clean up. He's not supposed to clean up. He's, he's the type of actor. That way. That, yeah, exactly. So it was a little strange. Uh, looking at this cast, I know uh, you mentioned John Cho. Interesting watching Harold become an FBI agent. Courtney B. Vance as well, who I know is killing it right now on Lovecraft Country. It was weird listening to Sonia Walger with an American accent as well. That was like, I totally forgot about that. Anytime that happens, that's really, it's like, why? I don't understand why you're, it's like, as someone who is an American, I enjoy hearing other accents and I'm pretty good at, I guess, understanding them. Maybe there's a fear in like the mainstream that like most Americans have a hard time with that. But it's like if you're casting Sonia Walger, it's because you want her to be her and her accent and her voice is part of that. And also some sometimes these actors struggle to do an American accent. Um, I don't remember the name of the show, um, but I'm a big Doctor Who fan. And a couple of years ago, there was a show starring David Tennant that came to the U.S. He, he oh, was yes. The uh, you're Doctor. talking about it. What's that? It's not Grace Point because it was the American take on Broadchurch, which he also started. 
And um, yeah, maybe it's that. Maybe it's something else. But either way, like I was so excited. I was like, oh, my God, he's going to be a huge star here in the States because David Tennant is brilliant. Um, and then I watched the first episode and he was doing an American accent and he has a pretty heavy Scottish accent. And mm-hmm. uh, I, and I think he's a great actor, but he was struggling to say his lines. And that show lasted like three or four episodes. And it's like you you took one of the best things about that character. Um, so I would say the same thing happens with Sonia Walker here. It's like, why are you even putting her on the show? Um, I, a lot of reviews actually for this show say that like Sonia Walker is kind of wasted in this role and she was also miscast. All right. So Ben, what did you think about the actual use of the titular flash forwards in this show? Considering it does seem like, even though on the surface it's okay, it's using time jumps much like in Lost, it does seem like it at least is trying to I wouldn't say weaponize them, but utilize the concept in a different way to make them, you know, a main plot point rather than some sort of set decoration to help us understand characters. Yeah, I think that's true. And it came in as the central mystery right from the outset of the show. And I think one of the cool things they did about it was that the whole first season, which is all we got, was about whether or not those uh, those flash forwards were the destiny of the characters because they saw different things and some of them just saw complete mm. black and, and it was assumed that they would die before they got there and I remember Courtney B. Vance was just sitting on the toilet reading a newspaper and all the different people had different experiences but then the closer we got to the moment in time that the flash forward was to the question was will it happen as it happened in the flash forward and I think that was compelling I think the area that the show fell down a bit was in the middle of the season where, you know, perhaps a 22-episode season did flash forward in. And if it had had a 13-episode season, it probably could have bridged the gap between having the flash forward and then seeing the, the outcome at the end of the season. So that being said, I'm I'm tempted to give this a thumbs up. And again, maybe this is because of the cast, you know, even besides who we mentioned before, uh, Peyton List, who again, talking about Star Trek, she recently appeared as Narissa Rizzo on Star Trek Picard. Like, it seems like a really interesting group of people, and it seems like at least these are not all FBI agents. It does seem to sort of have that hero's perspective of a bunch of different people from different walks of life who are experiencing this and how they may be connected. And the fact that this only ran for one season, you know, I, I could imagine that it's sort of ended in a way that the show did not necessarily want to. And I also think it was divided up into two parts, which is another... Uh, interesting method as well. But I think that, you know, it's it's worth checking out because the concept sounds cool and the source material sounds great. So if anything, if you don't want to check out the show, uh, John, do you recommend at least reading the book? I heartily recommend the book for sure. For the With the show, I would give it sort of a half thumbs up. I think if we were to take all of the shows we're talking about today and say hard yes, hard no, sort of in the in between, I think that that flash forward is really in the, in the middle there. I don't think you'll hate it, um, but it's, you know, your time may be better spent elsewhere. Ben, what about you? Yeah, I give it a thumbs up. I will watch this again. And I don't think you can understate how great the cast is. I mean, we've mentioned a lot, but there's also Michael Ely, Gabriel Union, you know, Shura mm-hmm. Akdashloo. There's just stars across the board in this show, and it's fun to see them all turn up. Jack Davenport from the Pirates of the Caribbean series. It's just they're, oh, yeah. they're everywhere. Oh, what, pre-smash Jack Davenport? Yeah. Who would have known? Yeah. All right, well, let's move on here. Show number eight, another big lost number. And John, we are going to another ABC show starring a lost alumni here. 
Well, yeah. So right now we're in sort of the 2009s and Lost is coming to an end. And you can see ABC is just being like, well, what's our next Lost? We got to, you know, it's like that. Uh, it's like that Dave Chappelle meme where it's like, you got any more Lost? You know, like they just need another hit. <laughs> and um, yeah, so V uh, is technically a remake from a 1970s miniseries, but this mm-hmm. was pitched as a full TV series. It ended up running for two seasons, um, two truncated seasons. So there's about 22 episodes between 2009 and 2011. Um, it's a show about an alien. Uh, invasion the aliens are they come to earth and announce their presence that they come in peace um, but they really don't and a couple of our main characters are suspecting that the aliens have ill intentions Um, and this show stars elizabeth mitchell who is juliet this is sort of what she did after she leaves lost Um, and it also stars morena baccarin who was on firefly she plays sort of like the alien leader all right let's listen to the preview for v use of music in a in a trailer we've heard up to this point like it's that catchy. does not fit v whatsoever oh my goodness well ben you said before that dominic monaghan could lead you into fire what did you feel about elizabeth mitchell uh, at this point were you were you similarly checking this out because of her yes and not just her but marina becker and from firefly as well uh as the two leads immediately i thought this show will be great and i think i got two episodes in and that was enough for me. I think I like my alien invasion shows either on the subtle end, like Invasion, where uh, the themes are, are, are a bit more grey, or on the kind of post-apocalyptic falling skies kind of end. And, and this version just didn't do it for me. Yeah, the interesting thing about V, especially from like the original uh, miniseries, was that this ended up kind of bringing about this idea of the lizard people, right? Which has been used unironically today, where I remember that infamous moment where, like, you know, I think someone, like, clawed at the face of, like, the president, and it turned out that, oh, my God, it was an alien in disguise. And that was the big thing, too, that as much as this was sort of building, like, my God, it's a face down between aliens and the humans, there was also this really fun idea of who can you trust, where some of the people... Some of the people we thought were humans, including the most trusted characters, were actually aliens in disguise. So it's a little bit of that mixture, again, of 
uh, of Invasion, as you mentioned, Ben. John, what's your thoughts on this V remake, the V make, if you will? I think it's a pretty fun show. I also did not watch the entire run. And if you read a lot of reviews for this show, I think critics kind of felt the same way that season one, um, the stakes were kind of too low. Again, this is a remake of a miniseries. So you have... I don't know how long the miniseries ran for, but let's say six episodes where you have this arc of, oh, who, you know, aliens are real. Oh, they look like us. Oh, they're nice. Maybe they're up to something. Oh, they're evil. Oh, they're lizard people. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, with this ABC remake, it's like they wanted this to stretch out. You know, they wanted it to last for five, six, seven seasons. And um, even in the two seasons that we got, it was just kind of like there wasn't enough meat there in order to build a whole show. And and that's what a lot of the early reviews are for. Um, yeah. So I, I, I tapped out probably around episode five or six. It's worth checking at least the pilot out because Elizabeth Mitchell and Marina Baccarin are so good and they are great as the sort of leader of humans. And she's not like the president. I don't remember exactly what her sort of job is, but she's the well, sort of, Mitchell, I think she's yeah, she's like an FBI agent, I think. Yeah, so she's like the leader of the good guys, and then Marina Baccarin is like the leader of the aliens. Um, I, although I do know that people who stuck it out to the end of the two seasons say that the end of the series um, is really, really good. So uh, again, if you, I mean, again, twenty-two episodes—that's how long that that flash forward lasted for. So if you're if you're looking for something, uh, and if you're a big Elizabeth Mitchell stand, then um, it's not a huge commitment. All right, let's move on to show number nine here. John, we're talking about my generation. This one's going to be real quick because uh, I mostly just wanted to bring this up because this is one of the like most quickly canceled TV shows in sort of American television history. My generation lasted from September of 2010 until September of 2010. They aired two wow. episodes of this program um, starring two people who have not ever heard of before, Michael Stahl, David and Daniela Alonzo. Um, the synopsis of this show is it follows a bunch of high school kids in their senior year in the year 2000 and then where they are 10 years later in 2010 so um, it's kind of like the breakfast club mixed with loss because you have flash forwards and flashbacks um, and then the really weird choice was that it was filmed in the style of the office like it's like this sort of documentary what? style yeah it's filmed like a documentary um, or you know almost like a survivor or something like that so um, this this trailer is only like 30 seconds long and it doesn't really need to be talked about much more than that it was really bad and everyone hated it and it was cancelled immediately um, this holds the record for one of the most quickly canceled shows. In the year 2000, they had plans for their future. I like to thank the Academy. That's President Foster to you. Yay! Ten years later, life had plans for them. I'm living in D.C. I'm in the military. I didn't graduate. Thursday, September 23rd, a drama series unlike anything on television. It's Carolyn. We slept together on prom night. We have a son. What? ABC's My Generation. Series premiere Thursday, September 23rd on ABC. She sounds surprisingly casual about that fact. Yeah, the show didn't know what it wanted to do with its tone. Um, I have Randy Dawn from The Hollywood Reporter here says, quote, They're losers in love, adulterers, drunks, commitment phobes, slackers who have daddy issues, uh, and people raising 10-year-old boys from prom night. Who wants to spend time with these people? ABC thinks millions will, and that's the basis for My Generation, a show with a concept so top-heavy that before the first episode is out, it's already tumbling into its own conceit. And uh, people didn't people did not like this show. It takes the concept of like a diverse cast doing flash forwards and flashbacks and where how did their life change after this big event? Um, but it, it takes everything interesting out of it 
and just and sucks it away. Oh my god. It's it's insane to me, Ben, that this show was on for two episodes. I feel like that doesn't really happen nowadays in television. You feel like even in the beginning of the 2010s, the effect of like, well, we'll just sort of like pilot onto the Friday night death slot if needed. But my God, this show must have just like really pissed off a lot of people if it got canceled after two installments. Well, the, the fun thing about being in New Zealand is over here, we tend to get the full runs of shows that get canceled after two episodes in America. So things that never air there often air here. Um, but this one, as far as I know, didn't. But <laughs> I mean, the, the Breakfast Club film like The Office with lost style storytelling, there has to be a way to make that compelling. It actually sounds amazing. If you could get the right showrunners on something like that, if it wasn't all about the drama, but it was a good mix between funny and drama, I think there's something there. Maybe yeah, I'm just I like a boring old man, but I, high school high schoolers aren't super interesting to me. I, I think that, you know, what if Lost, but high school kind of doesn't really work. <laughs> yeah, I'd rather have Lost high school version than, uh, which I guess was... Uh, Flight 29 Down or whatever it was called on, on Discovery Kids. But it seems like a... I agree with Ben that like I think it's an interesting idea if done well, but it's a very tricky needle to thread. And evidently, it does not seem like my generation threaded that needle. But let's talk about a much different type of show. My God, Jean Krauss, I remembered for months and months four words... What is the event? What is the event? I'm pretty sure this show was pitched as, you know, people in a boardroom that were like, we need a television event, something that is must see viewing. We need an event. And then someone was like, what if we had a show called the event where the whole plot of the show was trying to figure out what the event is? Um, we have the event one season, May of or September of 2010 to May of 2011. We have a 22 episode season starring Jason Ritter and Sarah Romer. Um, this show ends up also being sort of about aliens that are being like detained on Earth. Um, but the the whole marketing campaign leading up to this show, as you alluded to, uh, Michael, is uh, what is the event? What is it? What, what will it be? Will it be this? No, it won't. And that that's really the whole show. All right. Well, let's see how much that marketing takes the forefront in the teaser for the event season one. We may have a problem. He's going to tell them about the event. We have to evacuate. What's going on? has always been need to know. I'm president of the United States. I need to know. In our history, there have been few events that have shaped mankind. The next event is upon us. Think about what you're doing. You never want you to do this. event mondays this fall on nbc this is a this sounds like a parody where they're just like the 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 text flashes up being like the assassination attempt is not the event the kidnapping is not the event to be like oh this is mere child's play the event will be the one to trump all events (laughs) ben did you watch the event i watched 
three or four episodes, all I remember from it is a plane possibly crashing or possibly not crashing and Blair Underwood as the president and uh, that it was, <laughs> at least in my estimation, what would have happened if you started writing Lost with absolutely no idea what you wanted to do and, <laughs> and very quickly ran out of even the ideas you had. It does oh show sound. It's, it does sound like something that like Jack Donaghy would come up with, and then Liz Lemon would be like, "That's a terrible idea," and he'd be like, "Shut up, Lemon! I know TV." You know, like it's 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 something like out of Thirty Rock. A lot of quotes yeah, it wasn't, from it reviews, wasn't BC, which uh, feels appropriate. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, maybe he did come up with it. Uh, a lot of quotes from reviews talk about how it's it's trying to do so many things. Like, uh, one, I don't have the the name of this reviewer, but they said it's like if Lost Twenty Four and the Forty Four Hundred had a baby. Another person said it's like throwing the West Wing 24 and lost into a blender. And so, like, honestly, those sound interesting to me. Um, but it's just like too many ideas being thrown. It's literally, uh, yeah, again, it's like a committee just saying, like, we need a hit. Let's take all of these things and throw it into the blender. It really does seem like this was written by like conspiracy nuts. And they're like, let's come up with all the biggest conspiracies we know and like add them up together. Cause I think there was something where like, like you mentioned, Ben, there was like a plane crash and then the, but the passengers were like people who were aliens like their dna was slightly modified so they were all taken by the government i remember this was also told in like not one not two but three different timelines where there was the current timeline and then there was the flashback uh oh and i i was actually reading up on this now i remember that this was also a hallmark of the early 2010s that they were trying to really incorporate social media into their show where like all the characters had Twitter feeds and there was uh, one, I think it was called like truth seeker or something where like you could go. And this was sort of like an ARG experience where like you would go to those sites to find out more information about what exactly was happening. I think the most successful or at least my favorite example of a 2010s, like fictional TV character having a Twitter account is um, from community when Pierce had uh, old white man says, which I think is still up. They haven't updated in years, obviously, but so Ben, what do you think about the event nowadays? Considering the events that have been going on thumbs up or thumbs down on the event, Uh, thumbs down. And look, there's a pattern that you'll see from here. The event is the show that turned me off lost style marketing for good. So from here, when I've watched any of these shows, it's been late or, you know, a trepidatious entry because the event was just, um, it felt to me like a deliberate attempt to capitalize on Lost without any care or thought. Um, yeah, so, so, so much thumbs down that it, that it put me off Lost Down, I think, for a very long time. It's cynical, I think. It's like a cynical attempt at capitalization mm. as opposed to, you know, still a, you know, a capitalist attempt, but, you know, maybe with a little of thought behind it. That's right. Yeah, it seems like it's it's less so about like, a, oh, we're going to try to take what made Locke successful and but sort of spin it off into our own tone and more so literally like, well, people like big mysteries and events. So let's just call it like like you said, John, it kind of feels like a mockery of what Lost helped commandeer in terms of just bringing in big reveals and plot twist with just Mickey. It's such a generic name, which also like reversed one of the E's to show how edgy it was <laughs> yeah. of like, my God, nothing is as it seems. Even one even of the, the E's in the event is backwards. To be fair to the show, and this is the most fair I will get to it. 
it is not the biggest mockery of Lost on the list. There is one bigger mockery <laughs> yet to come, but this is this is pretty low in the barrel. Well, John, we're going forward in time, but let's go back in time to our next show. Tell me a bit about the Fox show Terra Nova. I was so excited about Terra Nova. Terra Nova featured time travel and dinosaurs. And it's like, if you wanted 21 year old John to watch a show, I was, this was the show I was going to watch. Terra Nova ran for only 13 episodes in the fall of 2011, starring Jason O'Mara and Shelly Kahn. And uh, it's got a very high concept, at least up front. It's like in the future, you know, global warming and all these other things like the future is really crappy. So the only way to save humanity is to send them back in time to prehistoric times. And like, maybe we'll get it right on our second try. So they build like a compound called Terra Nova in the jungle. And there's dinosaurs all over the place. All right. So before even proceeding the Jurassic World reboot franchise, Terra Nova was here. Let's give a lesson. So yeah, obviously lots of Jurassic Park tones to the point where it was executive produced by Steven Spielberg. And I remember, to your point, John, reading, you know, Entertainment Weekly going into the fall of 2011 and this really being one of the biggest series coming to because of the Steven Spielberg affiliation, because I think it costs like a a pretty penny to make as well between CGIing all of the dinosaurs and Ben, it was an investment that did not pay off. Yeah, it didn't. And I, if I remember from the time, so I did watch one episode of this. And if I remember from the time, I think what really sank this show is the casting. And it feels like, a, or, or perhaps the characterization, it feels like the characters themselves are what fell flat. And while people might come for the dinosaurs, they'll stay for the characters. Yeah, I couldn't agree more at the at the inception of the show, like the pilot. I don't know if it was number one, but it kind of unseated lost as like the number one most expensive TV pilot. And they threw a lot of money into that pilot, making these dinosaurs look really good. And the pilot isn't bad, but you could already tell from the first episode, like the the main family unit of like the mom, the dad and the two kids. Like, yeah, the, the, it's it's some combination of being miscast and just sort of like annoying characters like the the, ch- the teenagers. I remember being really, really annoying. Um, but then the thing is, is like, as with all these series after the pilot, you know, then you have to make your budget stretch. And so they had to pull back that money a little bit. And so there were whole episodes without any dinosaurs. Yeah. Um, and then sometimes they were very sparsely featured, but they didn't look as good because they didn't have as much money. And so, yeah, you come for the dinosaurs, but you need to stay for the people um, because the dinosaurs go away real quick. 
And um, yeah, and it just wasn't there. The family was not um, that exciting. But this is the reason we're talking about it. It's similar to Lost. We have the jungle setting. We have time travel. And then eventually, um, you know, to spoil a show that isn't that great, um, like uh, there's like another society of humans that they find. So there's kind of like others in this mm. show that, that come in like season or episode six. Um, but they're also not very interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. So I guess it is sort of like possessing some of the qualities of the lesser uh, heralded Jurassic Park films and like you are much more inherently interested in the dinosaurs than the humans. And considering to your point, we spend much more time with the humans due to budgetary reasons. If those it's clear that they were much more into the concept than they were the characters. I remember watching a couple of episodes of this again, like the Steven Spielberg connection looked interesting. But like you said, after that two part pilot that happened in September, once we got into October, uh, things were definitely winnowing off. So from that perspective, maybe watch the two-part pilot. I'll give the thumbs yeah. up on that. But the rest is going to have to get the thumbs down for me. The pilot's fun. And, you know, like graphics and special effects on TV don't necessarily age well. But at the time, like they were truly impressive for a TV show. I kind of think this may have worked better as a movie. Uh, but yeah, it does not mm. work as a full series, which is why uh, the show gets canceled pretty quickly. We have a, I have a quote from the Baltimore Sun. Uh, Sarah Toth says, quote, um, with all the mystery and none of the finesse of Lost and all of the dinosaurs, but none of the excitement of Jurassic Park. The show has all of the makings of a glorious, wonderful disaster. And I think that's accurate. all right. Let's move on. We're going back to ABC here. And this is a show that if you have uh, followed my origins here on post show recaps, you will know I have a lot of experience with, and the Lost Connections was one of the reasons I was brought into it in the first place. We are talking Once Upon a Time. John, tell us the story, the fairy tale of Once Upon a Time. Yeah, so this show, in a lot of like concrete ways, is more successful than Lost. It lasts seven seasons, there's 155 episodes, and there was a short-lived spinoff show called Once Upon mm-hmm. a Time in Wonderland. It ran from 2011 to 2018. And as you alluded to, it is all about fairy tales. We have um, starring Jennifer Goodwin and Jennifer Morrison, um, but we also, because it's produced by um, former Lost producers Eddie Kitsis and Adam Horowitz, um, we our, have yeah, tons. Our, our, uh, I think we call them like the the alley oop guys, or the ones that usually write the penultimate episodes of each season. Absolutely, and so we have tons of connections. They said in an in interview, um, according to Ben here, that they purposely stuck as many lost Easter eggs as they could. And so we have either starring yes. or guest roles from Emily DeRaven, uh, Jorge Garcia, Rebecca Mader, Elizabeth Mitchell, Patrick Fischler, Alan Dale, um, who is uh, Penny's dad. Uh, we have Nadine Andrews and others. Um, there are Apollo bars, Oceanic, Ajira Airways, um, the TV show starring Nikki and Apollo expose features in mm-hmm. this. Um, someone drinks McCutcheon at some point. So, uh, even though maybe thematically there is not a ton of lost connection here, uh, like there are lots of concrete lost Easter eggs throughout the show. Um, and I will play this clip here, but then I'm going to let you take it away uh, because I'll be honest, this is not my favorite show. Um, but I know that you guys will probably have more to say about it. There's a town in Maine. I'd like a room. Welcome to Storybook. Where every storybook character you've ever known is trapped between two worlds. The evil queen sent a bunch of fairy tale characters here. And now they don't remember who they are. Victims of a powerful curse. Everything you love, everything all of you love will be taken from you. Only one knows the truth. And only one can break her spell. It's your destiny. You're going to bring back the happy endings. You enjoy your stay.
so that clip actually did a great job of describing what season one of Once Upon a Time was. So in this world, there is like a, a fairy tale world. There's another realm where the fairy tale characters live because this is ABC. It's a lot of the Disney characters. To your point, uh, they lost characters that you were reading before. Emily DeRaven plays Belle from Beauty and the Beast. Jorge Garcia played a giant. Rebecca Mater, uh, Zelina, who is the Wicked Witch of the West. Elizabeth Mitchell plays the uh, mother of uh, of Elsa and Anna from Frozen. Patrick Fischler plays Hades. Like there, or no, he plays Isaac, the author, who's not a Disney character. But essentially, uh, the evil queen from Snow White, played by Lana Perea, who's another Lost alum. She played uh, Greta, I think her name was, in Through the Looking Glass, one of the people in the mm. Looking yeah. Glass station, uh, essentially pushed these characters into this world in Storybrook, Maine, into our world. They don't know who they are, though. They've taken up real lives. And it's up to this newcomer in the form of Emma Swan, who is played by Jennifer Morrison, to essentially, you know, crack the code, have everyone remember who they are. And like uh, like I mentioned, this is a show that myself and Kirk Clark and I covered between seasons four to six. Uh, and it was a show that, uh, you know, obviously ran for seven seasons, as John mentioned. Before I get into my own thoughts on Once Upon a Time, Ben, did you watch the show? Yeah, I watched maybe three seasons of Once Upon a Time. I do intend to get back to it at some point. Spoiler alert, you don't really need to. Well, I I do know that I don't really need to. And even by season three, you know, it was losing some of that luster. But in the first couple of seasons, they did some really clever things. I remember uh, the eighth dwarf was sneaky uh, or something. Mm -hmm. That was really cool. Um, Naveen Andrews is the best Jafar you could ever have. And Mm -hmm. I've been disappointed that he is not Jafar in every live action version that you can have Jafar in ever since. Um, the first season was actually really good, I thought. And, yeah. and it's just great to see them throw in all of these lost Easter eggs as well. But, you know, um, Eddie Kitsis and Adam Horowitz are also the guys who brought us Five Plus Water, and you can <laughs> see that in the DNA of the show at times. Yeah, so the thing about Once Upon a Time, in my opinion, is actually it's very similarly ascribed to my comments on Heroes, where the first season felt so self-realized, where, again, it was about Emma trying to uh, figure out these mysteries and, like, have everyone sort of come to terms with who they actually were. And so they did a lot of really fun stuff in terms of, like, okay, what character, what's this fairy tale character doing nowadays? You know, like, oh, the dwarves are mechanics. Or, you know, what's Cinderella doing nowadays? And so actually the first season was pretty procedural in that, you know, it would take a look at one of these fairy tale characters, what they're doing in the modern world. And then similar to Lost, they would institute flashbacks where they would go back to their time in the Enchanted Forest and really talk about who they were and what their character was and how they may or may or not differ with where they are in Storybook. But once they got past that first season where, again, everyone remembered who they were and the evil queen was sort of defeated they didn't really know what to do. So, like, season two, they, like, separated the cast where half of them got thrown back into the Enchanted Forest, and we introduced, like, Captain Hook, and we started introducing these big bads. Starting in season three, they started dividing the seasons up in two. So, like, for example, the first half of season three, they went to Neverland and met Peter Pan, and then the second half of season three, they were dealing with the Wizard of Oz stuff, and that's where Rebecca Mater comes in. So it's very clear that they were just trying to figure out what to do. And the issue with Once Upon a Time, in my opinion, after season one, was that it got continually and continually soapy. Uh, It's very much like True Blood in that value, where it just felt like it ended up being 
to be quite blunt, like everyone was related to each other and like some people were cheating on other people or someone was actually someone's mother the entire time. And it's very clear they would be like inventing magical objects to help fit the narrative for that particular episode, but then like completely disregard it moving forward. And the show became much more about like what uh, new fairy tale characters are we going to bring in for this season and how can we sort of cram them into the narrative while still keeping our main characters in there, which again was another crutch because they didn't really give their main characters some savory stuff to deal with. Basically, the show, I would say, technically ran for seven seasons. It more so ran for six, where a lot of the main cast actually left after season six. And so season seven was like sort of limping its way to the finish line where they did a <laughs> they did a flash forward, which took place several years after the fact. You heard a child uh, in that trailer that was the kid named Henry, who's actually Emma Swan's son. Uh, we now talk about an adult Henry who like gets together the remaining cast members that would appear on the show to like solve another mystery. So it was very clear that this was a show that, again, kind of limped its way to the finish line. So again, I'll, I'll ascribe the same comment that I did to Heroes in terms of my recommendation. I think the first season, agreeing with Ben, gets a big thumbs up. I think it's very enjoyable, especially if you are a fan of... That really is the perfect merger of Disney and Lost. Everything after that, there are like a few good things, but it, in my opinion, it really, really goes off the rail. So I can't, again, unless you're really into like trashy bonkers TV, check it out. But otherwise, like this thing turns from a, a carriage into a pumpkin, personally. And I think the. Other, I would say so. I watched. Oh, go ahead. Uh, well, I was going to say, I think they, they made the same mistake as Heroes as well, where you had Lana Perea as the the uh, Snow Queen. Uh, you had Rumpelstiltskin, Robert, Robert Carlyle as Rumpelstiltskin. Mm-hmm. And yeah, those about two 28 were, Days Later fame. Yeah, and those two, well, I was going to say the full Monty, but, you know. Um, <laughs> and those two were so strong. You know, they put in performances much like Zachary Kinto as Sila that were very highly regarded. And I think they were particularly the characters that had no real place in the show going on. They didn't know what to do with, but they kept going back to that well because of how amazing the actors were in that role. Um, and it could have been a much better show if they would sort of recognized that no matter how good the actor is, sometimes you've got to write them out of the story. Go ahead, John. Oh, I was just going to say, so my, my perspective is a little bit different because I remember the previews for this in, and I, I saw Emily DeRaven and then I knew the producers, Eddie Kitsis and Adam Horowitz. So I was like, oh, I'm, I'm all in. And, um, I like my TV to be like, uh, a little bit more brooding, I guess, the, even from the beginning. And I can see the points that you guys made, but really even from the first episode, I was like, this is a little too whimsical for me. <laughs> And uh, I'm not a huge Disney, like at the very beginning, it was kind of like more of the public domain fairy tale characters. But I know that later on in the show, they they went so hardcore into like Elsa's here and like they went fully into the Disney properties. So, um, you know, I I was I lost interest after sort of the first episode. I can see why a lot of people like it. And clearly it was a big hit. Um, but if you if you don't like whimsy, I don't know if there's a lot there for you. All right. Let's talk about a notable post lost property Let's talk about Jorge Garcia's foray into leading his own mystery series. Let's talk about Alcatraz. I'll start with the with the trailer for this one because I feel like it's it sets up interestingly what happened, and then we can get into exactly what this ended up being. On March 21, 1963, Alcatraz officially closed due to rising costs and decrepit facilities. 
prisoners were transferred off the island. Only that's not what happened. Ready or what? 302 men disappeared that night. They were never seen or heard from again. Is anyone here? Until now. the 63s. Prisoners on the right, guards on the left. The worst criminals this country has ever known are coming back. Meet Jack Sylvain, 85 years young. He disappeared from Alcatraz in 1963. That's him? You look the same. I'm here for you. So we have to find these 63s. We need to find who took them. You knew this was going to happen. You've been waiting for this. A very, very long time. Well, uh, I guess you have to take my word for it that Jorge Garcia was in this because, John, he does not say a word in this teaser. Yeah, that really stands out when I watched it uh, the other day and then today when we just listened to it. Yeah, like the show promoted Jorge heavily um, because this was his first post-Lost role and this was the first television season after Lost kind of ended. And um, he's the main character, um, but he doesn't have much of a character. Like it was really sold on just like he's here. Don't you like looking at him on TV? Um, I think that video sets up the synopsis really well. In addition to Jorge Garcia, we have Sarah Jones, who is a bit of a TV actor. Um, and then we have Sam Neill. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ben, I believe that uh, all Kiwis are legally required to watch all Sam Neill projects. Is that correct? <laughs> that is correct. And look, this is the small world that, that New Zealanders uh, live in. So I will tell you, my best friend growing up lived in a house that Sam Neill lived in. And then his parents sold the house and bought a house two houses down the road. And Sam Neill had also lived in that house. So, wow. um, you know, it's a small world in, in New Zealand. And yes, I will follow Sam Neill everywhere, but in this case, only through one episode of quite dull television. Yeah, so the, the concept seems super interesting, right? Because, again, it seems like a bit of a procedural where, like, here are these prisoners who disappeared from Alcatraz and now they suddenly, like, reappear. And, you know, uh, I, I think we're going to, talk about the show manifest coming up but it's a very similar concept right but there's a bit of like a time jump where they're the same age as they were when they disappeared so you have like younger prisoners interacting with older prisoners i also remember that the uh the show actually featured like you know if you're talking about like uh, prisoner of the week there's actually some pretty big names in here i'm looking at like uh michael eklund i'm looking at theo rossi but probably the two biggest ones are mahershala ali and Rami Malek, both Oscar winners in their own rights, made appearances in Alcatraz. Yeah, and uh, I think the show had a lot of potential. I love the concept. I love the cast. I like those guest stars. Um, but despite the super high sci-fi concept, in practice, the show really was like a, just a criminal procedural. Like, you know, instead of just like a random criminal does a crime, we have random criminal teleports from the past and then does a crime. You know, the actual play by play feels a lot more like CSI or, you know, uh, law and order than it does lost. Mm, interesting. So 
Ben, your Sam Neill bias aside, thumbs up or thumbs down on Alcatraz? I think it's now available on like CW Seed or something. Yep. Yeah, I have thought many times about going back to Alcatraz, but I can never bring myself to do it. So thumbs down from me. Uh, It sucks because, again, it seems like such an interesting concept, you know, like mystery of the week combined with this overarching mystery of like, okay, what does Sam Neill's character know or not know it's 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 you know it's it's the perfect thing to feed in things like Buffy and the X Files of like both short term and long term narrative arcs. But yeah, I remember watching a few episodes as well, and it being kind of dull. They they were not. You have Jorge Garcia on your show, like he needs to be fun. He needs to be funny. He needs to be lighter. Not to say that he can't do dramatic stuff, but I feel like he was woefully unused and so unfortunately the the appeal of the you know uh appear time traveling criminal a week format was not enough for me to outweigh the con so i'm going to give this the fun the thumbs down as well i would agree i think that jorge garcia plays like a college professor i know the character's name is diego and he's kind of like he's the expert on alcatraz but he's like kind of brooding and i can see jorge being like i want to branch out you know actors want to do new things but yeah for from an audience perspective it's like that's not what we're signing up for. All and right, let's of, move. Uh, go, I was go just going to say, in the spirit of every man for himself, I've got a question for you both. Have you been to Alcatraz? John is more of the world traveler, so I'll, I'll ask him, because I have not. Yes, I have. Uh, two out of three is not bad. <laughs> all right, we have a 67% chance here of actually... We've all, we've all watched 100% on Alcatraz the show, 67% on Alcatraz the place, which I don't know, yep. probably says something worse about me. Uh, all right, let's move on here to another post-lost Elizabeth Mitchell project. We're talking Revolution. John, was Revolution a revolution for television? So Revolution wants to be too many things. I think that's the story here. It, it was not um, a huge flop, though. It did run for two full seasons. We have almost 50 episodes, 42. Um, it stalls Billy Berkey and Tracy Spiridakos. But we also have, as you said, Elizabeth Mitchell. We have Giancarlo Esposito after his play on Breaking Bad. Um, and then behind the scenes, this was a co-production between J.J. Abrams and like Bad Robot, but also Eric Kripke, who um, mm-hmm. was coming off of Supernatural and um, the sort of the synopsis here is what if this mysterious event happens where there's a total global blackout making electricity no longer work and like we all have to go back to an agrarian society. Um, but then like it did a lot of hand waving too because like guns didn't work for some reason which don't really require electricity. <laughs> um, but this show also wanted to be like um, Hunger Games was just coming out in theaters and so it was like oh everyone needs to have a bow and arrow like that's really cool. And um, you know the Pirates of the Caribbean was still like big and so like oh swashbuckling swords and like it wanted to be everything it wanted to be lost and breaking bad and uh supernatural and hunger games and so um it's a little bit sloppy all right well let's listen to the sloppiness see if we can hear it in the season one promo it's my brother Benjamin, what's up? Listen to me very carefully. It's going to turn off and it will never turn back on. What's going to turn off? Everything. Everything. Ben. Miles. What the hell is going on? So, 
what caused the blackout. Was it a solar flare, an electromagnetic pulse? Physics went insane. The world went insane overnight, and nobody knows why. I have been searching for you for a very long time. What's this about? I suppose this is your boy. Danny's gone. You need to find my brother, Miles. He can get Danny. Why would they take Danny? I guess we'll know when we find him. This brother, Miles, what do we know about him? All my dad ever said about him was that he's good at killing. Mm. Oh. You drew first. I put your blood on your hands, son. God knows what they're doing to Danny right now. So you are going to help me get him back. Why is that? Because we're a family. Your brother is bait. The neuro thinks your dad knew something. And he thinks your dad told me. Why the lights went out. What? Okay. Ben, give me all your thoughts slash history if you have one about revolution. So th- this is a... Um, the event put me off starting revolution. It's a casualty. <laughs> And so I really mm. need you guys to tell me thumbs up or thumbs down for this one because I've always looked at it and gone, this is the kind of show that I would have watched before the event. Do I want to watch it? I need to know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where, again, it seemed like they had, like John said, it's you can sort of hear from the from the preview or the teaser that it's a bit of a mishmash. Like you have... The very, the seriousness of the actual blackout with, like, you know, the taking of the sun with, like, Zach Orts, you know, hey, let me throw out some comedic lines and be the goof. So, like, it's clear they were sort of going for a weird mishmash tone, but they were also a show that between their, they had two, they ran for two seasons, and their second season, I remember being distinctly different uh, from the first season where, like, the characters were still there, but they, like, changed locations. And it sort of was, was Walking Dead esque, where they, like, changed enemies the thing i also remember is that there was a third supposed to be a third season it got canceled and i think it got made into a comic book where they're like we want to answer all the questions from season two which is a crazy concept to me john yeah and and i didn't read the comic i also only watched the first season of this it does have its diehard fans so i think that even if we all end up giving it the thumbs down that like there are people out there who would recommend this um but the tone i would agree uh mike is that the tone is really just sort of all over the place and I hate to nitpick like I, I can do a lot of hand waving and I can do a lot of sort of suspending a disbelief. But the, the the universe doesn't make any sense because there is something that makes electricity go out. But then all of a sudden, so nothing else works either. Like the concept that they wanted was like, what if modern people had to go back to an agrarian society? What would that look like? And I like that question. I want to know that answer. Mm-hmm. Um, but they couldn't come up with a way to make it happen. They were so like, what if electricity, but also guns and also all of this other technology that doesn't use electricity stopped working. Yeah, it's it's a very like interest like it's very clear they had a question that was interesting, but the answer was a little wishy-washy. And so I'm I'm going to have to give it the thumbs down. Though the actual like aesthetics itself if you choose to watch this teaser, it's it's interesting, right? There's a lot of like lush greenery and it's clear they were really building out this post-apocalyptic world that was not as like I guess it's it's a lot of browns and grays, but not necessarily like the grays and blacks like you might find with a lot of other fiction uh, around this time period. So maybe if you want to check out like the cinematography and Giancarlo Esposito, which, as you heard, is sort of like a Yosemite Sam Southern drawl <laughs> villain. 
feel free to check it out. But but I'm going to give it the thumbs down for now. Let's move into show number 15. And the, now we're going to start talking about shows that are still existing to this day. Because we are talking about Manifest. I'm going to start this one with uh, another trailer. This is the trailer for the upcoming season two. Or I think... I can't remember if it's upcoming or if it, it already happened. It has started. This is the only show that is still currently airing and like there's a new episode next week. All right. Well, let me let's hear it to the the trailer for season two. And we can sort of talk a bit about how season one and the entire series began to. Last fall, their disappearance quickly became television's greatest mystery. We need to know what happened on that flight. And on January 6th, there are these shoes now. Last year's number one new drama. We are all connected. Whatever's going on is a danger to all of us. Returns. What's going on? Why are we back on flight 828? And I was in K28 again. It's crashing. We're all supposed to die. We have to stop that from happening. And what if we can't stop it? I'm on the verge of exposing the 828ers for the threat they are. We'll do what needs to be done. I was there when the plane disappeared. You know what happened to Flight 828? Like a spider web. The plane was trapped in it. It's not just about the airplane anymore. Whatever we're meant to save the passengers from is coming. It's violent. The key to surviving is in this journal. The possibility that all of this has happened before. This changes everything. This is the first step in figuring out how we survive. We have to do this together. I'm not giving up without a fight. Save the passengers! It's happening now! Oh my god. Is this what happened to us? Did we crash? Manifest. Season 2 premieres January 6th on NBC. Season 1 now streaming. Hey, Manifest, you can't use 828ers, okay? That's our word. You're not allowed to. 815 over 828. Uh, but yeah, they talked about this a bit in that preview right there, but the initial concept of Manifest was that there was a flight from Jamaica to New York City, which, stop me if you've heard this before, had a period of turbulence. Luckily, uh, this one did not crash, or maybe it did, depending on the, the trailer you're watching. When this plane lands, apparently they went through a time jump where five and a half years have passed since they went into the air. Once again, like Alcatraz, they did not get any older, but uh, others did. Like, for example, I know there was a pair of kid twins where, like, the kid comes back and, like, he's still young, but, like, the sister is older now. This stars Melissa Rockberg, Josh Dallas, who also appeared on Once Upon a Time. John, give me your thoughts on Manifest, which I think, really, of all of these modern shows that we're about to talk about, most uh, tries to ape the lost concept. Yeah, you know, if you're if you look up this show, there are lots of think pieces that are called like is manifest the new lost or how manifest and lost are like the same show. I mean, you have a very similar starting premise where you have like a plane disappearing. You have point of views of people. Um, but it's it's almost like what if the whole show is just sort of the oceanic six like they come home um, and, and there's a lot of these big questions like what happened to them? Did they vanish? Yeah. Did they time travel? Were they in a coma? Like, you know, what's going on here? Um, I've not seen this show yet but i this is one of probably the two uh that are on this list that i really am planning on checking out now that i've sort of learned about them um and yeah this is the only one that's currently actively airing so i i think that's interesting too 
All right, Ben, I don't know if this uh, if this show was invented yeah. for you, where it was an NBC show and you didn't want to check it out. But I guess based on the description, what's your take on Manifest? No, I've watched the whole thing. I like oh, Manifest. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm a Manifest guy. So actually, I think um, this isn't lost um, in the sense that none of the ways, the traditional ways you might think about advertising the show is being like lost. It hits. It is not a show about the people who are on the plane surviving in those five and a half years. But, and it's not really a character drama. I think the characters are probably the weakest part of the show. But what I find hmm. quite interesting is they, that the passengers come back and they start hearing voices in their heads. And it's sort of like the Hurley or the Desmond powers. It's like, okay, there's this thing that's different about us now. And what does that mean? Do we have a destiny? There's people among the passengers who think, you know, this is our destiny to go do what these voices are telling us to do. There's others that are saying that the voices are trying to soften us up so that we'll do whatever they say and, and they're manipulating us. And so it kind of becomes a, a story. And, and also there's people who weren't on the plane who say, these people have powers and we need to, you know, wipe them out and try and eliminate them. And it's, it's them versus us. And so it actually becomes a show that is more, its closest link to Lost DNA is... Uh, what should they do about these callings? Do they have a purpose to them? Are they going to make the world a better place? And on top of that, uh, they find out quite early on that if this thing happens to you, you have only the length of time you are away to survive. Because mm. it turns out the plane is not the first time this has happened. There's a guy who drove into the harbour and uh, he just was alive when he came out of the car three days later but he had skipped three days, and that's how he had survived in the car. But three days later, he drowns while just standing on dry land. So they figure out they're going to die in five and a half years, and actually the driving thrust of the show, showrunner says he has a six-year plan. It's a familiar one through many of these shows, and the end of that six-year plan is the death date for the passengers, and will they make it past that death date? Interesting. So from that perspective, given how the actual conceit is not very losty, even if the DNA is there from the beginning, considering that it's currently happening, would you recommend people binge the first season to try to catch up with the second? I do, yeah. And I think it's a show that works better on the binge because the characters aren't necessarily that memorable with a couple of exceptions. Um, but I think the plot is is quite good. Um if, if a little slow. The other thing I'd say that drew me into this is Melissa Roxburgh, she seems a lot like Sophie Clark. Like, there's a real similarity <laughs> to Sophie Clark. And I'm watching the show and I just feel like I'm watching Sophie Clark on a TV show. So I enjoy that aspect too. Interesting. All right. So if you want some survivor crossover in your uh, big mystery shows, check out Manifest. The final one that I want to talk about today is we are skipping to a show that admittedly, Josh and I actually did bat back and forth last year as to whether or not we want to cover it. Jury's still out here, but this was talked about, you know, from Ben's perspective. I'm assuming this is what he was alluding to. Yep. John, talk to me about the island, I-land. Yeah, so this one is kind of in limbo right now. Uh, the Manifest, as we said, is still airing. This one has not officially been canceled, but uh, we don't know. It's a Netflix show. The first seven episode season dropped in September of 2019. So 
quite recently, all things considered. Um, we don't know if it's going to get a second season starring uh, a pretty big cast. Uh, the big ones are Natalie Martinez and Kate Bosworth. They're kind of the headliners. Um, the synopsis is going to sound very familiar. Waking up on an island, not knowing how they got there, people with mysterious pasts and character archetypes need to either live together or die alone. Uh, when we watch the trailer here in a second, you're going to hear that maybe there's more going on. It might be some sort of a social experiment. Um, and uh, people have hot takes about this show. All right, love. Before we get all of our hot takes, let's see if we can cool down by listening to the trailer for The Eye Dash Land. Miss Chase, can you please tell us the first thing you remember from the simulation? Where am I? Nobody can remember anything at all about how we woke up here. Then what? I mean, our plane went down? I don't know. I just want to figure this thing out. We haven't seen half the shit this island's going to throw at us. We're going to die out here. We have to be ready. Or we try to get out of here. It's all about to get a whole lot more intense now. If you do something wrong, the island, it pays you back. Something's off with her. Check her. Did you see something, too? I think I'm finally beginning to understand the rules of this place. If you die in there, you're dead out here, too. Each choice determines the next challenge. You think they've got a chance in there? Not if I got anything to say about it. In a fight for survival. I just remembered my life. All right, Ben, give me all your thoughts about the island. So, okay, here it goes. So the island is created by a guy named Anthony Salter. Anthony Salter does not exist. It's a pseudonym for somebody. He's got no other credits. He uh, has no online presence. Anthony Salter is a guy who hated Lost and just wanted to make a show to mock it. That is what I think is the island. I think this is somebody's uh, somebody's idea of what mocking loss looks like, and and I hate it for that reason. John, interesting. Have you seen it? So I admittedly have not seen it uh, again. Like, no, I mean we I we were debating watching it, and then I saw to your point, John, about sort of the discourse. I read, you know, Dan Feinberg was going on and on on Twitter at the time about how this was some of, like, the worst dialogue he's ever seen, even though he, like, sort of recommends the show just to see how bad the dialogue is. Actually, linked to the video you sent me, John, is a video from Think Story called The Island, Netflix's worst show ever. <laughs> so, again, like, I have a certain threshold, uh, not to quote another show, for bad taste, but I, I, I don't know. I, my love for Lost and made me feel like, do I really want to watch that bad of a Lost, uh, you know, either parody or satire, I suppose. So I've got two quotes that I pulled here that I want to read. Um, this is from Entertainment Weekly, quote, the Netflix drama is a pale imitation of the iconic ABC series Lost, uh, with so many cringeworthy developments, lines of dialogue, and poor execution of a potentially great idea. You'll soon find yourself wondering how this even got made. Another quote from Brian Tellerico on RogerEbert.com says, quote, a bafflingly horrible sci-fi show, the kind of project that leaves your jaw on the floor, not unlike the first time you saw Tommy Wiseau's The Room. 
And anything that evokes the room, like I kind of have to get into it. I kind of have to watch it. But Ben is making me worried. Ben makes me think, like, I don't like being insulted. Well, like, I mean, so I, what I did was read the entire synopsis of the series from start to finish. Because I wanted to make sure, you know, am I right on this? Is my instinct right? Is this mocking lost? And yeah, even having read the entire plot of the series, I kind of just came away going, this is a guy, um, or this is a story that is telling us why Lost is bad. It's all set in people's heads. They're all prisoners. Um, they've, they've been put on this island, which is actually a computer simulation of some kind, to live out horrible lives and horror stories. And it's kind of a justified experiment because they're all prisoners. Uh, everything about it is bad. Somebody eats their own fingers mm. in soup. Um oh. Like, yeah, it, it does not sound like a good time. So basically, it's like Lost meets uh, the Black Mirror episode White Bear in terms of like yeah, that's what I was thinking corporal too. punishment. Uh, spoiler alert uh, a little bit for for Black Mirror. But it sounds like to your point, they're taking advantage of like we're on Netflix. We can be edgy. So let's like like I think I saw something about like a rape scene in this as well. So it's very clear they were trying to become edgy, but perhaps ended up missing the point to the point where this might be the lowest rated show we talked about today. 8% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, it's hands down. I mean, it's even lower rated than Surface, which we talked about way at the beginning of this. Wow. So, yeah. So I guess, you know, I, I would say like trepidatious thumbs down, though, again, it might be so legendarily bad to John's quote that we may have to. Josh and I may have to check it out at, at some point because I believe it's only seven episodes. We might just have to watch through our fingers the entire time. Let's let's do a quick wrap up here because we just went through 16, very fitting for Lost, 16 shows through the Pantheon. Is there a connection, John, in your opinion, as to why you felt like most, if not all of these shows did not end up hitting the mark as a genuine Lost successor? Well, I think and I don't want to insult the audience of Lost because I know a lot of people were disappointed with how Lost ended and a lot of people got too into the mystery. But I something I say every time I come on this is that, you know, you come for the mystery, but you stay for the characters. The characters are the most important thing. And I think most of these shows forget that they go, who cares about the characters? We have to have an event. We have to have a flash forward. Um, and then the few that we mentioned that maybe do try to have characters, you know, we got to give them kudos for trying. Um, but like they they just don't have like. Jack and Hurley and, and mm-hmm. all, like John Locke, like these are such rich, deep characters. And I think a lot of these shows um, kind of fail to capture that. I'm going to do one more quote. I have a lot of quotes in this episode, but I think a lot of these people say it better than I ever could. So Adam Epstein at um, Quartz.com says, quote, Lost was many things, a puzzle box style mystery, adventure drama, love story, an online phenomenon. But at its core, the series was a character study filled with disparate personalities. And the magic of the show was seeing these people interact, understanding each other and themselves. The ending of Lost remains controversial, but there is little doubt that its characters were superb and were ultimately the reason the show became an Emmy winning sensation. And I think that I think that really sums it up. And that's that's why, you know, aside from maybe Fringe or or Heroes, like a lot of these shows are kind of like forgettable. Ben, what's your take on all this? Look, I think that when you're trying to live up to Lost and when you're actively going for that comparison, you're bound to fail. And I actually think that there's a lot of successes to Lost that took their cue instead of from trying to be Lost or trying to advertise themselves as Lost, 
from some of the revolutionary things that Lost did. And I think of, um, for example, This Is Us. I don't know if either of you watched This Is Us, mm. but the first episode of This Is Us, you have all of these characters going about your lives, and then only at the end of the episode did you discover you're in different time periods, 36 years apart, two of the characters' appearance of the other three, and it kind of takes that flash-forward idea that Lost revolutionized and turns it into the conceit for an entire show. Um, another example is the De- the Desmond scene at the start of season two in The Hatch. I think mm-hmm. we see that throughout many shows. Mike, you've probably got more ideas than me, but I can think of Westworld and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. where they yeah. introduced brand new characters that become fan-beloved characters out of the blue in a cold open at the start of a season or at the start of a really great episode. And that's kind of become a much more common thing. And I think people who take elements of what was really great about Lost and think about how to do those in ways that aren't replicating Lost, they have way more success. I completely agree. I personally think if you want to make, if you watch Lost or inspired to make another show, take the ingredients, not the recipe. Don't take the entire dish and try to recreate it to your own model using the the tools that you have in your kitchen. Instead, say, oh, I really like this ingredient. How can I use it using the tools that I have? And you'll be sure to make at least a more palatable dish than a lot of the shows that we talked about today. Gentlemen, I want to thank you both for hopping on and going all throughout TV history. Hopefully you have not lost years on your life like the people of Manifest have. Let's go around the horn. Real quick, if you want to plug your social media, people want to uh, talk with you about some other Losty shows or if they have experience with the shows that we talked about. John, how can people find you? Sure. I am on Twitter at John Krause, J-O-N-K-R-A-U-S-E. And I tweet about, I don't know, I've been on Twitter for so long. I just tweet about everything. I do watch a lot of TV. I'm still kind of trucking along with Big Brother, uh, even though it's maybe not so great this week. And uh, I've also been starting a rewatch of the the first season of The Amazing Race. Um, and then beyond that, oh, my alarm's going off. Right, we got to go. Uh, beyond that, I also have a YouTube channel. I am um, doing shows about flags from around the world. That's Fast Flag Facts with John. Uh, you can search for that on YouTube. Okay, we'll go press that button, John. Uh, ben, what about you? What's going on? Uh, so you can find me at Golden8284. I mean, really what's mostly going on for me on Twitter is talking about Lost and talking about Down the Hatch. <laughs> and of course, you can also find me at uh, Down the Hatch at PosoRecaps.com, where we love to get your feedback. And if I can also plug, send in your Lindelofs. If you want another Lindelof, we need to get some more in in the bag. So Think about it. Start sending more in. We should get another one of those going sometime soon. Warm up those pipes, especially with the wand off winding you down. If you're looking for a creative outlet, the Lindelof is here. Of course, you can follow me at a Mike Bloom type. Follow Josh at Round Howard. Follow at Post Show Recaps. Josh and I promise we'll be back next week to cover the cost of living. But I thought this was a really great foray into the impact that Lost has certainly had in the pop culture pantheon, especially from a television production perspective. So I want to thank you both. Thank you all for listening. I'll check you out next time. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. See you later.